Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Governments have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. They say, whoever they are, that you should do something every day that frightens you. Well, today I will be doing something that frightens the living life out of me. I've done many strange things on the radio uh, uh, over my time. Like I had, I did, I had colonic irrigation live on radio. I don't kid you not, I did. And I also did a bungee jump live on radio. But I'm doing something this morning, later, that terrifies me. Simple reason, I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen when we do it. If you want to know what that is, hang around for a little while, I'll tell you later. Also, your sleep. Has your sleep been odd of late? Uh, do you find it hard to go to sleep and then do you wake up at some stupid o'clock hour of the morning and go, okay, that's the night's sleep done. Now, why is that? Or a bit like me, if you go into bed too early, do you wake up too early? Except maybe for the weekends. Oh, that and plenty more coming up during the morning. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. I want to go first to Dr. Mary Favier, a member of Neffet, of course, talked to a few things in the news this morning with regards to, to Neffet, uh, among them that they are discussing mandatory vaccinations. But before I get to that, Mary, the um, what you, you said that it's maybe time now to start thinking about lifting the restrictions under which we're currently living. Good morning to you. Good morning. Did you say that? Is that what you believe, that we should actually start lifting some of the restrictions? I, I, what I said was in the context of, of the broadest Omicron surge, we are going to have to give it thought, as we always do. And the, the point is, we are still in a really large surge yeah. of Omicron. And as general practitioners, we really see that. But it is proving to be a milder illness. And now the, the earlier figures were all are in the, in the age 19 to 24. Last week, we we're starting to see it get into the older age groups, which is a little bit of a concern. That's to be expected with the, the Christmas mixing. And we have to yet see how 
that plays out. But so far, while there's a rise in hospital admissions, it's not proven to go through to the ICU departments mm. and, and the need for ventilation and things like that. So while huge figures, not, you know, not so concerning. And inevitably, when, when you've got restrictions, it's quite easy to drive into restrictions. It's, it's much harder to reverse out of them. Yeah. So we will have to give thought about how to do that. And there's, there's real challenges in that because it's so important that we protect our health system. We don't know what's coming down the track. We could have another difficult variant, but we can start to see how disruptive it is to society to have these restrictions. Mm. And so there's there's another week or 10 days to make those sort of decisions when we've all the facts and figures in. Yeah. What, what seems encouraging, Mary, I think personally from following this anyway in detail is like we, we know now, now that the testing system, the PCR testing system is pretty much overwhelmed. So it's, it's, it, it can't take any more. So if we have 20,000 cases confirmed per day or infections confirmed per day, we may take it as a given that there's many more out in the community that we don't know about. But as of last evening, there's only 83 people in ICU. So clearly vaccines are working. Vaccines are extraordinarily successful and are and doing the job they, they need to do, particularly the boosters. And it's a good opportunity to encourage people to get their booster if they can at all. And so, no, we've had a drop in the number of boosters in the last week or two because of the sheer number of people who've had COVID and can't get a booster for three months or are self-isolating because they have somebody at home for boosters. But if you're in a position to, to get your booster, yes, absolutely. And GPs are doing them and the mass vaccine clinics. So vaccines are doing their job. We don't yet have all the figures but internationally the, it, it is looking positive but we've been in play, bad places before mm. we don't want to get ahead of ourselves but I think there is some cause for optimism there and it's really just to ask people to keep doing what they've all been doing for another week or two until it's very clear mm. and then we, we, we need to change the circumstances Can I bring up a kind of a, a water cooler conversation if as it were Mary with regard to the booster I've had my booster most people that I know have had their booster but a conversation that, that comes up is along the answer, how many more times have I to stick something in my arm? People are saying three, four, how many more times? Can you address that, that, that concern that some people have? I think it's a reasonable concern. Uh, the, the answer is we don't know. We don't know how long booster value lasts. It, you know, is it is it months? Is it weeks? Do the boosters need to be changed? At the moment, it looks like it's a, a, on a three monthly basis, but the, so there's a huge amount of work to be done to be done on that. And I think it's it's quite reasonable concern. Can we continue to operate like this? The answer is that at the moment we need to because it is what's making a significant difference. Otherwise, we'd be back to last January when we had a really really hard lockdown that lasted for the best part of four or five months. So I think we need to to be happy that. It, the vaccines are working, but there isn't an answer yet of, of to how often. Uh, and it's it's an understandable question. I've I've seen cartoons of people having little flaps in their shoulder pockets so that you can put a vaccine in every three months. It's a joke, but it's a it's a, an understandable concern, but one that is is a matter of very significant scientific research, and and we don't have an answer to yet. But they're keeping people safe, and that's what we need to deal with today and next week. Where do you stand on mandatory vaccinations? We understand that Neffet and, and the Department of Health are looking at the prospect of mandatory vaccination for certain cohorts. Where do you, where do you stand on that, Mary? 
The issue of mandatory vaccination has been around for quite a, a while and so there's various subsets to it. There's a question of would you have it across a population? Would you have it in certain healthcare workers, you know, particular essential workers and even in subsets of healthcare workers? And so there's, there's a balance in it. I think as a general principle, mandatory vaccination should be approached with absolute caution, particularly on a societal basis. We've run, really done so well when getting everybody to do it because they've been encouraged, they've got good information, they believe in the process, they've been seen to work. And I don't see any reason why that should change. And and I, I don't think there's any energy to change that. Mm. It's a little different than when you get into the healthcare worker uh, area and people in vulnerable groups that should our healthcare workers be, be vaccinated and you know and that be insisted upon before employment or during employment and should they be redeployed if they're not vaccinated and some services have looked at that and that would be an interesting societal debate what do we think in, in those circumstances because there's the individual rights of the person to, to the privacy of their information with that they're not vaccinated there's their individual you know, your right to self-determine that they don't have to have a vaccination but then there's the societal rights of if you're a vulnerable person in a hospital or a clinical setting that you will be kept safe there and and I'm sure your your read your listeners will have a a, a variety of opinions on that so I think it's always it's it's a it's a balance it's an issue of proportionality there are ethical issues in it and it's one to be discussed I think by us all rather than particularly decided mm. in advance you could argue in a way that the EU is bringing in a sort of mandatory vaccination itself because after the 1st of February, you'll need your booster to travel internationally. Yes, so the, the, the COVID passports are changing on the 1st of February. And so the basic one and two vaccine shots are no longer going to be accepted. You will have to have your, your booster shot to to be able to travel and to be able to use services. And they're all being updated you know, uh, last week and this week. And you know people will see that they're, they're getting their emails and letters about the updating of the vaccines, the booster vaccines, which is very welcome. Yes, so effectively there are some restrictions uh, but we're, you know, they're not including people's right to employment or how they express that right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a, a substantial discussion to take place. And again, it's always a question of proportionality. It depends on how significant the illness is, how common it is in, the, in society. So you could see that has even changed in the last number of weeks. If yeah. Omicron isn't as severe um, or, or it passes through the surge, do we need to have a mandatory vaccination? But if it was incredibly severe and there was a huge amount of it, perhaps we do. And they're the debates that need to take place. Lastly, some of the newspapers over the weekend and again this morning would indicate that Neffet isn't always the, the unified body we think it is and that there may be, even be some rows in that room. Is that true? I, I don't think it's ever a unified body in that sense, and I don't think it should be. I think there's always robust discussion. There's there's a lot of, of contributions from all types of you know experts on the group of of every shape and hue, and and variations um, are always going to be there. So there's there's always people arguing for more restrictions. There's argue people uh, people arguing for less. But the most important thing in effort is that a consensus comes out. Every voice is heard, and then there's a consensus across the group. Do, do you have and that's what we 
if no. something. No, no, we really, you know, I, voting is avoided if at all possible. We mm. really just keep talking until decisions can be come to by okay. consensus. And sometimes that takes hours, but we get there. Okay. Listen, pleasure to have you on the opinion line again. Uh, Dr. Mary Favier Cork, GP, and of course, member of the National Public Health Emergency Team. Thanks, Mary. 1850 Just following, I did it again. The first time this week, I promise, 0818 96 96 96. It'll go into muscle memory eventually. I've written down all around me here. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. On the subject of mandatory vaccinations, what would you think? Should there be certain cohorts of workers, for example, that have to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, including a booster, to be allowed to go about their daily work? I'm thinking in terms of healthcare workers, guides, soldiers, teachers, doctors, nurses, um, anyone basically dealing with vulnerable, dealing with the public, should they have to have a fully up-to-date vaccine programme? Is there any way that you would consider mandatory vaccination as right or wrong? Your thoughts are welcome. I, I don't have a view on this, to be quite honest with you. I don't, don't have a view because I have all my shots and it doesn't matter to me whether it's mandatory or not. I'll get it anyway. But let's see. Let me talk to Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC on a few more of the ongoing issues. And I'll start with that one, Liam, because I think Italy has brought in mandatory vaccination for everybody over 50 and other countries may be looking that way too. Is there a possibility or how would you feel about it here? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I suppose what you've got to look at is what are people trying to achieve by mandatory vaccination is the question, right? And uh, the Italians, by going with the over 50s, are trying to mitigate against uh, people in that age category who are more likely to end up with serious complications of COVID-19 infection impacting on the health service. And we know, you know, Italy and Bergamo and the tragedy that that was in 2020. And, um, you know, we have had our own difficulties here with, we'll say, January 2020 as well and the the, uh, number of deaths that we had in Ireland when we didn't have a vaccine. And now that we have a vaccine, you know, we kind of might forget the kind of unseen benefit of the vaccine is those many thousands of individuals who didn't end up in hospital and those many probably hundreds or maybe, you know, maybe even thousands of individuals who didn't meet their demise because they were vaccinated, you know. So that's the, you know, so it's what you're about trying to prevent really with a discussion around mandatory vaccinations. And the other side of it is then, you know, we have about 5% of the population unvaccinated occupying nearly 50% of the ICU beds. Yeah. So they're the kind of, you know, things that you look at. Uh, and also, I suppose, we're very much aware now the economic impact of Omicron and close contact, uh, the kind of the ripple effect of that. And, you know, give you an example, like if the childcare sector goes down, well, then many other bricks will tumble. And, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of stuff that will be in trouble for the next couple of weeks if if uh, the childcare sector goes down. That's a slightly different argument. Back to your point, <clears throat> I do think there's a place for mandatory vaccination for particular groups. Mm. Um, you mentioned, so I'll just cut the tail end of your, your, your introduction there. You mentioned soldier, teachers. Yeah, um, uh, members of that. Yes, yeah, exactly. And you know, we we do have a situation where you know hepatitis B is a, a mandatory vaccination for individuals in the health service. Why? Because it's a vaccine preventable infection. Now, the Omicron vaccine, sorry, the COVID nineteen vaccine that we have doesn't prevent infection. But what it's what it does is it shortens the duration with which you're infectious. It has a very large degree of protection against hospitalization and serious outcomes. So, yeah. um, you know, we are in a very 
particular dilemma with our health service at the moment, you know, north of 900 uh, with COVID in hospital and um, we'll say 40 beds in our ICU occupied by individuals who are unvaccinated. That's, remember, again, that's only 5% of the population. So I do think there's a, there's a need for a very robust discussion as to the merits, <clears throat> the ethics, the legality of making it mandatory, mm. um, A, across the population and B, then within particular kind of employment groups or uh, those volunteers mm. that might be dealing with uh, very vulnerable individuals who would have a serious complication maybe if they uh, came across COVID-19. And that's what this is all about trying to prevent. Yeah. This is about trying to prevent onward transmission, people becoming seriously unwell and people meeting their demise. We, don't, we do not want that. And we have a very effective tool yeah. Uh, to do that. And remember, if somebody only starts today, PJ, they'll have to wait three weeks for their second shot. And then we know this is a three-shot vaccine. So, you know, that to, be, to have the maximum vaccine uh, protection-based immunity, it'll take you three months. Yeah. Can, can I ask, Liam, your, your, your view on, on, on a question that, again, it's like these water-cooler conversations or questions that come up at, in chats over Christmas. And here's this one. I thought vaccines were supposed to stop you getting the thing. Sure, this thing isn't working at all. Why are they asking us to take a vaccine? And sure, we could. Like, here's this one. I can understand a certain amount of breakthrough. This is a listener on the phone. But all my family are vaccinated and boosted. We all got COVID over Christmas. All were sick. Didn't require hospital, though. To be blunt, I'm disappointed. I thought this would be the odd event. I didn't think people would get so sick from the way experts are talking. And none of us will be vulnerable or over 50s. And there is a certain amount of rumblings out there. Sure, Jesus, they don't work. What's the story, Liam? Well, yes, and I can, I can, you know, uh, see where the uh, the logic for those kind of questions comes from. But you know, they do work with regard to kind of shortening the duration of infection. Yeah. They do work with regard to keeping many people out of hospital. <clears throat> Take, for example, the, the example I mentioned earlier on: hepatitis B vaccine is completely different in that that gives you protection from infection mm. most of the time. There are very few individuals who will always kind of will say challenge and break the rules. But, you know, hepatitis B is a particularly good example of a vaccine that prevents you from very much from getting infected. The, remember, at the outset, the WHO, the standard for, the, for a vaccine to be kind of licensed for use in the human population was one that had an efficacy of about 60%, 65%, the higher the better, for keeping you out of, uh, keeping you out of well and, and protecting against serious consequences of infection. The bonus was that it would protect you against getting infected. Mm. And what, we, what we've seen is that you are much less likely to get infected if you have had the third shot. Um, compare that to the J&J who got the single shot and aren't boosted at the moment. <clears throat> so they're likely, you know, four, five, six months since their um, shot. They have very little protection. So they're, you know, if you're in that group and you're over 50, then, you know, you'd want to seriously consider about getting um, a vaccine. Why? Because it works at protecting you from serious disease. The, 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 back to your, your, your listener's point about, sure, look, I got infected anyway, and I got the, the three shots, and we all got it. Yeah, but you all probably had a very mild course of infection. Mm. Well, so to expect they this say they were quite sick. Um, you know, a lot of people, Liam, I think one some of the observations that I'm seeing is that for someone who's fully vaccinated and in reasonable health, it is a very bad cold or a mild flu that you... <laughs> That, that, that seems to be plenty of evidence coming from that and into my own friends um, and family who have had it. Um, you know, it was nothing more than a, a slight inconvenience. And, you know, PJ, this is the beginnings of a conversation about what's going to happen next winter. Yes. It's not so much about now. Now we are in where we are. 
Um, and next winter, you know, we surely have had, will have had nearly three years of this pandemic. We have to have the national infrastructure, the local infrastructure and the personal capacity to be able to manage this infection without lockdown. We mm. absolutely have to. Um, because, you know, this vaccine is giving us uh, you know, it's, it's a bore at this stage for people. Is it gives us great protection yes. against serious illness? It's just the sheer amount of it that this we year, have this year. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yes. there will be a kind of a wall of some immunity uh, coming into next winter. But yeah. you know, if we need uh, another shot, be it a kind of a slightly different type of vaccine, in other words, a completely different kind altogether, like we'll say some of the inactivated viruses or some a remodeling of the current one that we're getting. Mm. Get it out early. You know, don't wait until the mm. flu season or the, the what used to be the flu season in October time and pair it with that. Because we saw this year the booster campaign started probably about six or eight weeks too late yes. to kind of protect more and more individuals. And, you know, standing down the vaccination infrastructure um, will probably cost us more in, in economic terms than actually keeping it going. So that, you know, if we need a fourth shot, for those of us or the J&J who've had a booster so a third shot for them you know maybe consider having that campaign start July, August yeah. and before the schools go back so that we have a bit of forward planning yes. we understand the risks we, we need to have the learning outcomes we have to have a positive pandemic dividend mm-hmm. and one of it must be forward planning yeah. and protection of the population and hospitals and employment remember there's so many individuals now who are scratching you know are, are, distraught at the thought that they might be either closed yeah. or about to close. You know, and I go back to the health, the, the childcare system. If, if, that, if that collapses, there are so, the ripple effect is very large. Yeah. Liam, I know that you are under time pressure, but I, I, I want to put this question to you lastly and briefly. A lot of people also say, Can we, do we know what these vaccines will do to our bodies long term? Can we be sure that they're safe to be taking them long term? Can you answer that one briefly? Well, the answer to that one briefly is that we've had these vaccines now in the human population, uh, different kinds of vaccines since last uh, December, 12 months. Um, and there have been over nearly 9 billion vaccines given at this stage. So it's, it's, I know it's a short window in terms of kind of, you know, we'll say, OK, well, you know, we don't have 10 years data. We have two years data. And there are no long term signals currently. That doesn't mean that there won't be because the EMA, the CDC, all the Global, national or global and national organisations are keeping an ongoing watching brief for any signals whatsoever. And you can be assured that the EMA will not be slow in kind of responding. And if there is a flag, alerting the population to the flag. But at the moment, these vaccines, with the known caveats associated with them, which we're all told when we get the vaccine, <clears throat> um, are, are safe. OK, listen, Liam, I'll, I'll leave you go because I know you've got other commitments this morning. Thanks for being with us and so generous as always with your time. That's Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC. Be optimistic. I think we can be optimistic at this stage, but we still need to be careful. I'd like your thoughts on the prospect of some sectors of society having to have vaccinations, mandatory vaccinations. As Liam said, in the health service, everyone has to have a hep C vaccine. It's, it's almost a condition of work. What would you think, yes or no, to some people having to have mandatory vaccinations? I don't know if we're following the Djokovic, are we not? Of course we're following the Djokovic story. He, he won his court case. It's very technical, but he won his court case. There was a rumour flying around a half an hour ago that he'd been re-arrested because there's another uh, minister now who can still chuck him out of Australia uh, over the whole visa thing. I mean, he won his court case, but that's, that's not over. Your thoughts in particular. 
Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The two grand minute. Listen to play at 740 and 840 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Corks 96 FM. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 96. On Corks 96 FM. Yeah, Kate says on Novak's Djokovic, uh, I had COVID, but I went and got my jabs. So why is Djokovic any different from me? I'd love to know why the judge made the decision to clear him. It doesn't give out a good example for others. It was very technical, Kate. Very, very technical. I've read several reports this morning and I think it was literally a legal technicality uh, that that the judge, and also the judge wasn't happy with the way he was being treated and that's an opinion of the judge as an individual, I guess. But there's still a minister. I can grab the minister's name off a piece of paper. Yes, the guy called, well, the, the counsel for the government is a man called Christopher Tran and he told the court that the minister for immigration, yes, Australia does have a minister for immigration, a man called Alex Hawke, he can exercise a personal power to cancel Djokovic's visa and deport him. So it's it's not over yet. And of course, it is nighttime there now. So whether anything will happen at this stage, we don't know. But he's not he's not out of the woods yet with regard to his row over being vaccinated or not. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I popped into a place on Friday. I'm not going to say where. Um. But one of my regular haunts, shall we say. And I would, sometimes on a Friday, I'd pop in for a sandwich and a coffee. And they had no kitchens. No kitchen open. And many places. We were looking for, um, to book a table or two for lunch for yesterday for the family. And loads of places. No kitchens. No kitchens. Loads of staff out all over the place. Shops. And uh, businesses are operating in what they call survival mode. Um, According to the Cork Business Association. Why in Stansfield, down at Pinocchio? Why on crisis mode, is it? I mean, how how, th- how are things down there? I mean, your own business and the businesses around you. Good morning. Well, good morning, PJ. I mean, for us, it's not a problem because mostly it's the two, myself and my wife. Um, so, But on the other hand, like I know one of our neighbours, who shall remain nameless because I haven't seen it on social media, but I know that they had an issue and had to immediately stop and turn people away. Yeah. Um, and I know that um, Fota had an issue as well with their um, with their canteen and suddenly had to stop, <laughs> literally, mid-morning. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, <laughs> my car went in for a service. They have two technicians who can service a hybrid in this particular garage. One of them had to depart at 10 o'clock in the morning because he was COVID, uh, well, sorry, close contact. Yeah. You know, um it's not something we can sustain long term, but for now, most think, people are grinding their teeth and getting through it. I think, like, I think that's all you can do at the moment. I mean, I'm not sure what else can be done because, I mean, it is it is rampant, you know. Um, so I'm not really sure what any business can do to try and stop it, other than just keep testing and and hope. <laughs> I mean, and that's really, you know, that's all you can do. Hope, yeah. hope that you're not the one. You know, I mean, for us, pre-Christmas, it was a huge concern that one of us would test positive because 
in a small business where there's only three people working, if one of us tests positive, we're closed. Mm. Yeah. And the number of kitchens gone. Oh, massive. You know? You know just because of one person. Yeah. Because that one person is in close contact with five or six people yeah. in a busy kitchen. They're falling over each other and their kitchens are like that. They're like a beehive. And they're like a beehive and they're lovely and warm and, you know... <laughs> Steam and everything. They were, yes. Yeah. What, what's the feeling in the business community, Wayne, about where we are right now? I mean, look, let's face it. This time last year, we were in a much worse place. I was broadcasting from home because so many people around me were close contacts. Plus, the missus had, had, had the COVID in, in the early part of January. So, loads of people were really discombobulated last year. Things are better now, but are oh, they really? I, well, I think for retail, I mean, I can't, obviously, I can't speak for everybody, but I mean, of the people that I have spoken to, Retail seems to be okay. I mean, we had a good Christmas. We've had a good year in general. There's a huge, there is this still this huge positivity towards supporting local, supporting retail here, whether it be online or offline, doesn't really matter. But I think retail at this stage is is okay. We're we're fine. We'll we'll all survive. Mm. You know, you'd be more concerned with anyone in hospitality you know, eight o'clock closing, etc. And yet, as long as they get the supports from mm. government, which obviously is not a bottomless pit, but I mean, as long as they get supports from government, they'll be okay. Yeah. But it's going to be very challenging. And, yeah. it, and it comes down in a lot of cases to how decent your landlords are. You know, you get landlords who are just looking for their pound of flesh, no matter what. Mm. And you're going, they're not looking down the line. They're not they're not looking at the future. They're just going, well, I'm on my pound of flesh now. Yeah. You know, I mean, if your landlord is playing fair and if you're getting the supports, you know, you'll survive. Not easily, I hasten to add, but, but you will survive. Mm-hmm. How sustainable are things like 8, p- 8 p.m. closing, though? Going, I know it's not your area, I, I, but... I don't think it is subs- sustainable into the future. But again, it depends in the short term. It depends on the supports they get that if they can do enough business, I mean, a bit like when we were, a bit like when retail was closed, you know, the supports added to the bit of business that we were doing mm. was enough. And as long as the pubs and the hospitality sector get those supports to to keep them going on the much thinner turnover, then I suppose they'll be okay. But I, it's not sustainable long-term. I mean, you know, no. any any more than... For life, yeah. <laughs> you know, for any of us, for life, just not being able to go out, not being able to meet your friends. Yeah. Or if you do, to go home at 8 o'clock, like it's not... Yes, it's not, <laughs> it's, not in, it's not in our psyche, do you know? It's, it's not in our psyche, you yeah. know, to, to not be able to... I mean, Jesus, Irish people spend so much time talking. I mean, it's, you know, to not... To, to, to have to get to the end of a pub at 8 o'clock and go, well, sorry, conversation's over, we're gone... <laughs> It's not, not something we'll ever be used to. Well, no. I, I wish you well in there, and I hope that yourself and your wife, that your, that your health holds up and that you don't get the lurgy and don't have to close that beautiful shop of yours even for a day. Thank you very much. That's Wayne Stansfield of Pinocchio Toys uh, down there in the Paul Street area. If you're running a business and you're stuck for staff because of COVID, how are you doing? How are you sorting yourselves out? I know loads of kitchens gone over the weekend. Lots of one one guy in a pub. He said, "Look, we're at least we're open. The kitchen's closed. At least we're open. We're selling points for as much of the day we can." 
But it's not sustainable going forward. On Djokovic, a few more coming in on Djokovic. Um, on, yeah, mandatory vaccinations, absolutely not. No way, say one or two people. Uh, on Dr. Mary Favier, Mag says, when she's on air sounding so positive, it gives great hope and optimism. Very cautious, but still good news on a Monday. On the mandatory vaccination, Kevin says, not too sure how to work with the Constitution and the freedom of the individual. Personally, I think 94% won't care either way. They'll get vaccinated as they already have. The 6% have a choice. In my case, I, I'm assuming this is a personal opinion. Kevin says, get vaxxed or find a new career. On WhatsApp from New Zealand. Hey, Gary, from New Zealand. Jabs are mandatory for all government agencies in New Zealand and all healthcare education professionals. And in some circumstances, people who are anti-vaccine have been told no jab. No job. It's part of Jacinda Ardern's hard line on getting the country fully vaccinated. And here's a long one, which uh, before I go to a break, I want to just put this out there without comment. I'm unvaccinated. I am vaccine hesitant. I have taken other vaccines. I'm not convinced about the effectiveness or the testing of this. I'm still open to the idea, but if they made it mandatory, I would totally resist. I think this would be a mark of the failure that they have to do that. All of my family are vaccinated. A lot of them got COVID. Some of them were quite sick. I mask. I social distance. I believe the virus is there. It's deadly to some, and those people must be protected. I'm not impressed with the vaccine. It doesn't stop you getting it. It doesn't stop you spreading. And because I think it's a deadly disease for some, and I take my responsibility seriously, I take an antigen test every day, not to break the rules, but I would isolate if it came up. Positive. And then Carlos says, I got my vax two weeks ago. Uh, I was so sick after it. Never again. Any idea why this is? That was a question. We ran out of time with Liam Fanning on that, but I'm sure his answer would be you have a functioning and very healthy immune system. That seems to be the general response to that. John says, not even in my cold, dead arm. Also, as regards traveling, my Irish passport, which is a sovereign legal document, is that now completely redundant because I don't have a COVID vax cert? No, John, it's not. Your Irish passport is as valid today as it was yesterday. But any country, anywhere in the world, at any time, is entitled to put its own entry criteria in place. Always has been, always will be. This is not new. So, but I take your point. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork's 96FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818 96 96 96. Save it to your phone now. Save it to your phone now. 0818 96 96 96. The new number to call Cork's 96FM. A lot of news coming out of Australia at the moment, but this is something completely different that you may have missed. It's the story, the tragic story of a man called Cassan Coleman. Now, he was generally known to his friends as Cass, uh, originally from Dunamore, I believe, and he drowned in a desperately tragic story. Uh, he was in, in Queensland. There were himself and his family who were out at some rapids, and his son slipped into the water, and Cass jumped in. 
this was last weekend, jumped into the water to rescue his son, managed to get his son onto the bank and saved his life, but then got dragged away himself by the force of the water and drowned. Just a tragic, tragic story. Kieran Donnelly, I think you knew Cass, did you? Good morning. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Um, yeah, I worked with Caston for over for over ten years. Um, and in mid twenty twenty, Caston and his wife Trish they they emigrated to Australia mm. uh, with their three children, Ormond, Ella, and Torin. Caston's yeah. uh, wife Trish is originally from there, and they went out to you know give things a try out there and spend some quality time with her her parents and extended family. Yeah, because as a couple, they'd been settled here in Cork for many years, raising raising their kids. And it was quite an undertaking, not only in uprooting the family, but also because COVID was in, in full swing and there was lengthy quarantine to be done when they arrived in Australia. Yeah. But yeah, as you've outlined in the story there, we were completely shocked to start hearing of this tragedy a few days later. Uh, Catherine had continued to work with us after emigrating and, um, uh, you know, through remote working. And, you know, we've been expecting him back to work today and now instead we're mourning his his untimely passing and thinking of the, the devastating loss for his family out there in Australia. Yeah. Oh, he was still remotely working in... Correct, yeah, for, yeah. For I, mean, I suppose with the whole COVID thing, we, you know, that pushed us towards remote working prior yeah. to his leaving, and so he was able to, to continue in that vein after after he immigrated. I see. So, I see. Yeah, yeah, I think initially, uh, I mean, the local Australian media only kind of mentioned that there was um, the victim was from Toowoomba or from Queensland, so I think it was just kind of, you know, missed here initially. Yeah, uh, but thankfully now that you know that things start to change in there last Friday, you know we're kind of getting the the story out there, and this is kind of yeah. just uh, an effort to raise awareness of the story. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Really, uh, firstly, it's important to get the story out there for all those who may have known Catherine growing up uh, in school, university, through work, or, or just socially. Tell me about uh, him, Kieran. Tell me a bit about him. Um, Catherine worked with us in, in software development. I suppose I worked with him for a decade. He was uh, a very devoted father and family man. He always had drawings that the kids had, had done hanging at his desk in the office when, when we were in the office back in those days. Uh, and even in the regular video meetings that we had with him since the emigrated, uh, we continued to see the kids' artwork proudly adorning his home office in Australia. Uh, he was a great man for being involved and and despite living way out in Dunamore when he was here in Cork, Catherine would always make the effort to attend any great work dues or parties that we had. He would, those would be in the city centre, but he'd still make the effort to come in. He'd always come in and have his meal and a few seven-ups or whatever before driving all the way back out. Uh, before he and Trish emigrated, they were both involved in a, in a local scout group as leaders. Mm. And he often took time off work to take his kids to, to like interesting events that the rest of us would never heard of. You know, there was, I think it was Buzz uh, Aldrin was in... One of the universities one time giving a talk and he took yeah. kids off to that. There were Lego building competitions, all sorts of stuff he'd come across that we'd never have heard of. He'd be, you know, taking the kids to those and on weekends he'd be taking them off camping and yeah. out the country to sporting events that they were involved in and so on. So he worked really hard to provide for them. Yeah. And in Australia this often meant being available late at night to interact with colleagues here in Europe or even in the States. So yeah, yeah. But his family was everything to him. Yeah. And I mean particularly We've, we've, we've gotten to know about it a lot because one of our regular contributors on COVID, Dr. Nell Conroy, was based in, in Queensland, a particularly beautiful part of Australia by all accounts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was over there myself nearly 20 years ago and I spent some time in Australia and I was just travelling around on a visa. Like, it's, it's, it's a lovely country, a stunning yeah. country. And Catherine loved the, loved the sun and loved, loved the exploring the bush and everything else. Like, and Catherine was sallow skin, though. He didn't have as much to fear from Australia as some of us. Yes. With more pale skin, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Such a tragedy to befall any family. To, I mean, for, uh, frightening enough for your child to fall into the water. You get in, you push him out, save him, and then you're carried away yourself. It's unspeakable, really. It's, it's, it's shocking. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. But, but Cassin, Cassin was a great man, and, you know, he, 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 
Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a story where a man paid the ultimate price, really, for yeah. for his child and for, for the love of his child. Look, yeah. um, I suppose, look, since his passing, a family friend in Australia, uh, Tracy Ann Lutton, has set up a, a GoFundMe page. Yes. Uh, the aim of this page is to raise funds for the ongoing education of Catherine's three children, yes. uh, yeah. Ormond, uh, Ella and Torin. Yeah, they're 11, um, nine, 11, 9 and 7. They must correct, be devastated. Uh, yeah. My God, they must Oh, be. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Um, you know, these three kids were born and reared in Cork up to just like 15 months ago and now, now they're on the other side of the world facing a future without their devoted dad. Yeah. So look through this fund in the little way that we can at this great distance. We want to try and help those uh, those kids realise their future potential and ensure they get to live the lives that Cassim would have wanted them to live. Yeah. And I know, look, I know January isn't the best time of year to be asking people to help in this way and uh, like no one should put themselves, you know, put a financial burden on themselves if they're struggling. But look, if you have got something to spare, like however big or small, I'd ask you to consider supporting this cause. Uh, Cassin Coleman is one of the uh, one of the good guys, like a gentleman in every sense, uh, one of Cork's own, and like he paid the ultimate price to ensure his child's future. So we just want to make sure that the family can make the right choices for for all his children in the future, and and, and honour Cassin's memory and, and and legacy through them. Okay. So. Uh, there's like for those of us here, like the initial shock and grief will fade in the coming weeks and months, but like for the family, it's it's going to be a long, long journey to some sort of acceptance and resolution. That's, yeah. that's only just beginning for them, you know. There's there's thirty six thousand six hundred and fifty Australian dollars in that fund as we there's, speak. Which there's is been a, a great response now since it's I about twenty three thousand yeah. euro. In, yeah, in since, around. Since, since the story started coming out here, I think really on Friday was really when it started picking up here. I mean, there's been a fantastic response, really, there has from the people. And uh, look, if you'd like to help out and, and you can donate, then the fund can be found at www.gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash Cowan hyphen family education. Yeah. Or if you just do a search for GoFundMe Cowan family education, yeah. then you should find the page easily enough. And it's, it's linked in a lot of the stories that you find online too. So. Look, if, if you can, if you can help out. And, and thanks very much for giving us a, a bit of time today to help bring the story to the people. And thank you and for talking about your friend because I know that, you know, he's a, he was a friend to you as well as a workmate and others around him. So a lot of people devastated at, at his loss and the rest of his workmates. No problem. And then hopefully together we can we can make a difference for those children's future, yeah. I mean, he's right. a great guy, great guy. Kieran, thank you very much. Uh, our thoughts with the family of Casson Coleman. Just an unspeakable tragedy. He manages to save his little boy, get him back to the bank, and then he's whipped away by the rapids himself. You, you, you couldn't. It's just, you can't contemplate how awful that is. The GoFundMe, if you want to help them, if you know them, particularly if you ever came across the family before, they only left here in 2020. Coleman, C-O-W-M-A-N, Family Education. You'll find it on GoFundMe. Oh eight. One, we have posted that link on our Twitter as well at Opinion Line 96. 0818 96 96 96 is our number. Green Party Councillor Oliver Moran says a park ranger is needed at the Glen Park. And he was supposed to be on. He's on three, is he? That's grand. Okay. Okay, I just need to dump one. Bear with me a second. Talk among yourselves. There he is. Oliver. A park ranger at the Glen Park. Why? Morning, Peter. Um, it's, uh, it's actually not an unusual thing. Um, so there are park rangers in uh, Fitzgerald's Park and there's a park ranger in Tromwell Trom- Valley Park as well. Um, so as you know, the Glen River Park has really taken on a, a renaissance during the pandemic. Mm. Um, I, I think beforehand, you know, there was a certain reluctance about going to it. It had a, a, a reputation, whether it was deserved or not. 
Um, and in particular, I, I know a lot of women in the area didn't want to go there. Mm. But during the pandemic, it, it really take on. Uh, it's been really used. Uh, but uh, there is still one problem in, in particular that, that, that's going to persist, and that's to, to do with scramblers. Um, but no matter what, I, I think it's a park that you know deserves somebody there on site uh, to watch over, um, to build relationships with, with park users, and, and if, you know if, if trouble ever emerges, uh, that there is someone there who can call the guards or who can address themselves. Mm. What hours would the ranger work? And I have a reason for asking the question. No, I, 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 I think that's something, first of all, that, that needs to be looked at in terms of the budget. So I, I, I proposed it again at the Look Air Committee, uh, which is meeting this month. Um, so I was, I, when I inquired before in the past about this, uh, the budget, I was told, for a part-time park ranger would be €35,000 uh, per, per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I, think, I think there's sufficient work there for a, a full-time person. Uh, but I, I think even to get the ball going with a part-time person, um, you know, initially funded through the local area committee would, would be good. But I, I, I think there, there are some key hours. I think obviously weekends and afternoons are, are, are you know, the, the main moments yeah. when people are using the park and also when, when I've seen that you know, yeah. there, there will be... Because I'm there. thinking in terms of about six weeks' time, um, Oliver, when, you know, you'll have light until half six, seven o'clock, and then, yeah. you know, after that you'll have light into the spring and into the summer, late until 7 or 8 or 9 o'clock yeah. at night. And that's when they'll bring their scramblers out, not in the afternoon when, when the ranger is there. Well, it, 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 the, the glen is, is, is unusual in that it is, it's not lit, because it's, it's kind of more or less left wild, uh, which is part of its character, you know. Yes, it, yes. It, 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 it's strapless. So it, it doesn't have any lighting, so it, it, its usage tends to be um, kind of, you know, obviously influenced by, by, by lighting hours. So the, when people would be there a lot would be during the kind of the afternoon periods um, and then obviously at weekends. So that, that, that's why, I, I, to be fair, I, I think the main goal of a ranger is actually to, you know, to give people security yeah. uh, rather than necessarily go chasing after, after you know, people who, who might be doing things after dark inside there. Yeah. Um, like they're, they're, not, they're not there to, to replace the police. They're, they're there to provide security and confidence for park users. Of course using the scrambler bikes in there is illegal anyway. So where do the guards stand on this? Very interesting. It's a long-term thing for the Glen River Park. It's been an issue for a long time. Obviously, I can imagine why it's so attractive to go down there with scramblers because it's got, you know, these pathways and it's kind of wild. Um, So it's something that's come up a good lot over the years. And the advice from guards, which always surprised me, was if you see somebody using a scrambler in a public area like a park, to call 999. Um, and it, it, it seems a bit intuitive or counterintuitive, um, but their reasoning for it is, one, that's the most effective way to get somebody out there quick. And they, they say, look, it is an immediate danger to, to the public safety, so it is something worth calling 999 over. Okay, well, we'll see where... I mean, if we get a budget in place, you then have to recruit somebody, so it's not going to happen tomorrow, but the movement is there at least. The movement is there, I I hope. So I I have the question down uh, for this month again to to get an estimate for how much it will cost. I I had initially wanted this funded through the the main city budget this year, but unfortunately that that didn't happen. But there was some instance over the the Christmas with scramblers again, and I, I, I think there might be... Uh, a movement there to, to go look at it again and I want to try and get it funded this time around not through the main city council budget but now we have local award budgets um, and at least initially funded through there and then if it's success, a success we'll move to the main city budget.
Okay. All right. Listen, leave it there, Oliver. Thank you, Oliver Moran, a councillor, Green Party councillor. Scrambler. It's it's only a matter of weeks before we'll be getting calls again about scramblers, and they are illegal in a public park, and they're dangerous damn things. Park rangers, will that stop it? Don't know. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96FM.ie the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Monday the 10th of January. You know there's about 83 days in January. We're only 10 into them. It's a long, long, dreary month. Payday is miles away. How would you like an extra grand in your hand, though, through Instagram? Because we want to do just that for one listener. Top up your bank account by a thousand euro just to say thanks for following us on Instagram into 2022 so you go to the Insta page Cork's 96 event page tag all your friends right? tag all your pals and then share simple and at the end of the month we will top up somebody's bank account by one thousand euro just to say happy new year from Cork's 96 FM 0818 96 96, 96. A lot of conflicting stuff now coming back from Australia about Djokovic. Rumour, and it started by his father, who is not the most reliable of sources, shall we just say. But there's a rumour flying around that he's been arrested again. uh, And that he may well be deported anyway. Because, as I said to you earlier on, there is one particular minister in Australia who has the say. uh, A man by the name of Alex Hawke, who is their minister for immigration. And he was represented at the court case by a counsel called Christopher Tran. And Mr. Tran said in court that the minister would consider whether or not to exercise his personal power to cancel Djokovic's visa. Uh, This may not be over yet. And as I said, it's the middle of the night over there now. It's at least 8 o'clock at night in, in Melbourne. So I don't think anything exciting is going to happen so far or today you never, you never know the way things are moving with, with this particular story uh, Mary asks have we not seen photographs of Djokovic unmasked after being diagnosed with COVID can he not be seen as a person that doesn't follow the public health messaging despite being a role model or influencer for people I think this is the main reason that the Australian government is so against him and that is the, the, his case is his argument is he had COVID-19 in December, and because he had COVID-19 in December, he feels he's exempt from vaccination. And indeed, there is some evidence out there that after you've had a case of COVID-19, you shouldn't get a vaccine for a few months anyway, and that that should exempt him. But there are photographs circulating that after he got a positive PCR in the middle of December, he went out shaking hands and sent it in the award ceremony. The man has no regard for, for, for public health restrictions, it would appear. But it's it's dragging on. If there's any more, we'll bring it to you. Uh, lots lots of people talking about it. Um, Noel has a long piece there about the airlines. I'll I'll read that in a while. Carla says I had COVID over Christmas. I'm due to travel at the end of February. I can't get a booster in time. What do I do? That's an exceptionally good question. The answer to which I do not know. 
as Owen Corey was saying on the opinion line last week, after the 1st of February, for international travel in the EU, you have to have had a triple jab on your COVID passport, your COVID, you know, your scan, whatever. Um, this person had COVID over Christmas. You and thousands more, I suggest, uh, due to travel end of February, doesn't know what to do. Very good question. I don't know the answer. I think there is an I think you can guess your cert updated to show you've had COVID and that might get you through. I do not know that, but if anyone can verify it, be delighted to know. 0818 96 96 96. The tattoo industry is up in arms of late over a new ruling from the EU, which will have a huge effect on the tattoo business because of the stuff, the colours, the inks, the paints that, that they use. Hundreds of them, if I'm to believe what I'm reading, hundreds of them are just got to be thrown out now because you can't use them because of an EU ruling. Dolores Murray from Wildcat Ink Tattoo Studios in Dublin is representative of the Association of Body Modification Artists in Ireland and she joins me. Morning, Dolores. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Am I oversimplifying it? But it seems from what I'm reading that the EU has in one fell swoop said most of your inks and, and colours can't be used anymore. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. I mean, to be fairly uh, straightforward about it, I suppose the reach regulation came into effect on the 4th of January this year, um, bringing in a lot of restrictions on what can be used and what can't be used, and etc. And there's also a further... Um, element of it in January 2023 when two of the main pigments used in uh, tattoo ink and making up the tattoo inks are to be banned and uh, the tattoo industry are having a very hard time dealing with this um, the, the ink reach compliant inks haven't really reached the market yet except possibly for a couple of black and whites which of course are in huge demand mm. because it's right across Europe and um, there's well, no coloured inks available at the moment. That well, are why has the EU done this, do you know, Dolores? Um, it, I don't know how it all started out. I mean, tattoo rings were, were regulated um, by what's called an ORS, OESP 2003, superseded by ORSP 2008. Um, they were already regulated like this. It wasn't binding, but seven member states brought it into law. Not Ireland, of course. But um, this REACH regulation is a chemical reg- regulation. It stands for the, let me remember, Restriction, Evaluation, Authorization of Chemicals. Sure, sure. And now we've been brought under this regulation, which is much, much more stringent. It's for um, chemicals, which we firstly contend that tattooing is not a pure chemical, so it shouldn't be under this regulation at all. It should be yeah. under something completely different. Mm-hmm. So they've just come hammer blow down from the first of, or sorry, from the 4th of January, there's 4,000 substances that um, are used in tattoo inks that are banned. There's new classification and labelling on the inks also. Yeah. So even if an ink existed that didn't have any of these 4,000 substances, it's not labelled or classified correctly. I see. So mm. if you take your own studio, like yeah. when you walked in on the, on the 4th of, of January, I, I take it that there were bottles and jars that you just might as well throw out, you can't use them? Yeah, well, we have had no guidance from our own government on this as to what should happen. Are we allowed to use them until they run out? Or or is it, as you say, they just have to be all thrown out? We've had nothing from our own government. Anything we know is from the uh, EU. Yeah. This sounds a bit like, and I stress a bit like, what happened with 
with um, fake tan materials a few weeks back. It was a decision like this as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're taking decisions over there uh, in in the EU that we're not being made aware of. I mean, we're a tattoo studio. We're not looking at what's going on in the EU. If some things like this are coming out in the tanning industry and the tattoo industry, any industry, really, you think our government would warn us about this, maybe bring us in, have a consultation, tell us what's going to happen and what we can do about it and how we should work around it. But there's nothing like that in Ireland because the tattoo reg- um, industry is not regulated at all in Ireland. Really? About how many studios and how many tattoo artists are working in Ireland, do you know? Uh, you know, an honest piece of strain, there's thousands. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we started, Wildcat started in 2000, uh, sorry, not 2000, 1999. There was three studios in Dublin. Right. There has got to be 600 studios in Dublin at this stage. Crikey. Hmm. So big expansion, and all across the country, people used to come from all over the country up to Dublin because that's where the three tattoo studios were. I mean, I'm not saying there's no, there wasn't any anywhere else, but there's very few. Right. We've got hmm. several here in Cork. And I would have, oh, I have. would have no idea. <laughs> I would have no idea how many. No, no. And you're living in Cork, so don't ask me how many. I know, I know, I know. So what's going to happen now? I mean, I don't suppose there's a government minister responsible for the industry. No, no, there isn't. I have no idea who we should be writing to um, about this. We just kind of, you know, sandblast the whole lot of them and see if we can get any reaction yeah. from anybody, but not, not, not so far. Because is what you're saying, Dolores, look, let us, let us keep using what we have until we run out of it. So that well, we until, can until there's actually with. colours av- uh, available, because there's no colours available at the moment. Yes. So we're being promised by one of the major manufacturers there's something available today. But I can guarantee you, if I go onto that website, I won't be able to get any. Yeah. No, that's not to say they might not be available over the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, we're in a bit of a limbo. And actually, there's nothing to say that these new um, REACH-compliant inks are not as damaging as the old ones. Or, you know, the old ones were never proven to be damaging, remember. This is based on an assumption. Yes, yes. And there are thousands of people walking around with coloured tattoos for years and yes. nothing yeah. wrong with them. Yeah. I'd, I'd urge all your listeners and all the tattoo artists down there in Cork and whoever else is listening down there to get on to the um, EU. Just a petition up there to save the two pigments which are um, supposed to be going next year. And that would be... Really bad uh, idea. That means that about seventy percent of the colours we use at the moment won't be available because the, although they're pink and green, they're used in a lot of other colours, as you might imagine, with the mix because they're pigments. Okay. So get on there and spend ten minutes because obviously it's the EU, loads of red tape, and sign that petition. Okay. All right. Listen, Dolores. Good speaking with you, Dolores Murray. Uh, from the Association of Body Modification Artists of Ireland and Wildcat Ink Tattoo Studios in Dublin. I don't have any tattoos. I know people who have tattoos and who would be very, very bothered by this. But one guy called uh, Tycho Veldon, he's a tattooist with a quarter of a century, he said uh, in Euronews on their website, he said... As a painter, you're suddenly losing a gigantic part of your palette. Would be a problem, I would suspect. 0818 96 96 96. PJ, will someone answer this question for me, as I'm not getting an answer from anybody else? If I got COVID in April 2021, have no symptoms, or had no symptoms, got it again in August 2021, 
got it in November 2021, and I have it now. Have I enough antibodies in my system to fight it off if I get it again? Who am I supposed to be protecting if most people are vaccinated? For a person who was so careful through the whole pandemic, how am I getting it? I had the blood test done for antibodies in my system. Do I still need the jab and why? Asks Anne. The only thing I'd suggest, Anne, you don't say whether you are vaccinated or not. I'm assuming that you are not from your last question. Do I still need the jab and why? I think the why is is probably answered by the fact that you got it, as you say, in April, in August, in November, and now you have it again. I think you'd have a greatly reduced chance of all that happening to you if you had been vaccinated in the first place. Whether you have enough antibodies, I'm not qualified to say that. Nobody is uh, around me here. I had COVID over Christmas. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to get an answer to that one. Um, Noel has this, which he sent in to us. I think the media should be making more of the carry-on by the airlines. They don't give a sugar about the public health guidelines. They tell you at the start of the flight, keep your mask on. The second the plane has taken off, you see people pulling their masks down so their nose isn't covered. And I'm not talking about one or two, maybe half the plane. They pull it up then if they're talking to flight crew. It's bad enough and unnerving enough, but I was on a flight to Poland. The fellow sitting next to me took off his mask, put it down the table and slept, snoring all the way over. Nothing said. The airlines are all about how they're losing business during the crisis. I'm nervous enough of flying and only did it when I had to. But after that experience on the Polish flight, never again. They should think of all the people that are not flying over this carry-on. They bring it on themselves. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Department of Health and uh, I presume the Attorney General will be involved in all of this but there's a possibility that Neffet wants to introduce mandatory vaccination for some cohorts initially for example all the over 50s must now be vaccinated to go about their business to keep the pressure off the hospitals and keep the pressure off the ICUs and all of that whether or not it happens no one knows for sure although it is being discussed Gary says no to mandatory vaccines Natural immunity is far better than any of these countless jabs. Besides, loads of the unva- loads of the vaccinated are sick now, whereas most unvaccinated that I know have never been sick the past two to three years. Gary, unfortunately, over half the people in ICU, and there's only about 85 or 86 people in ICU at the moment, but over half of them are unvaccinated. So that is just the fact you're you're much more likely to end up in hospital and much more likely to get up end up in ICU if you are unvaccinated these days but as for mandatory I don't particularly have a view on it for the simple reason that if my doctor tells me I need a new another I'll take it I don't care it's it's I'm looking after myself and my health Maria says the reality is that until everybody's vaccinated the pandemic won't end it doesn't matter how many booster vaccines people get until those who are not vaccinated get the vaccine, it won't change. There's a difference between people in countries which have no access yet to vaccines 
and those who simply choose not to get it. The indirect result is the restriction of freedom of people who comply with the rules and who are getting tired of doing everything right and still be in the same place after two years. Thank you for that, Maria. We have more. Yeah, when the fourth and fifth jabs come and you say you get the fifth but skip the fourth, will your COVID papers be valid to eat inside and go on a holiday? As I said, and, and if I, I don't mind, I'll perish on this rock if I have to. If they say to me I need one every, every winter, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. Do you know what I mean? But people take flu jabs every winter. Do you know? I don't have a problem with that. Now, the teacher said recently that young trans people should have better rights. He said they should, we should consult young trans people to hear their views on the right to legally change their gender. Now, in 2015, Ireland first introduced a right of someone to declare their own gender. It applies to adults and it's now believed it should apply to younger people as well. Jack Fitzgerald is with Gender Rebels Cork. Jack, good morning. Good morning to you, and thanks for having me on today. You're welcome. Why is why is this important? Oh, this is, is very, very important. Um, like, at the moment, things are pretty bleak for our young, transgender young people. Um, like, it's it's never been worse for them, to be, to be quite frank and to be quite honest. Our medical system at the moment is feeling them left, right and centre. And here in Cork City, I don't think many people are aware of this, but when we look at supports on the ground for our young transgender people, they're simply not there. There is, as far as I know, one youth worker. She is part-time and she has a service to hold the LGBTQI community. She, you know, and and this is done part-time. And yet I'm hearing from government this needs to do more and you know what, I would invite invite the t to come down to Cork to come meet with us, come meet with our young people. You know, he seems very open to have this discussion and we're very open as well to have discussions so we can tell them exactly what we need, what kind of supports we need. And I think giving young people legal recognition is so invalidating or so valid to their identity because, again, you have to think about this rhetoric that's slowly you know, bubbling up this idea that concern that, pe- that people like myself are trying to turn young trans people or trying to turn young people into trans people. Mm. That is not what we are doing. What we are trying to do is ensure that our young trans people reach to adulthood and that they get to live healthy and happy lives. About how many, about. and I, I'm sure it's not a number that you can write on a piece of paper, yeah. but like what proportion of Cork's teens would be trans, do you think? It's, it's a healthy, healthy, healthy number. So, for example, with Gender Rebels, like, our main support is with adults group. Um, and, but, like, I've worked in the past with, say, Transparency, which is a group founded for parents of young trans people. And if people want to know more about them, they can contact Tinny. Um, uh, the website for them is info at tinny.ie, yeah. and that's the E and I, um, so and they they can like help link people in with that, but you know all the all the sports that are there, um, they're run by volunteers. They're, you know, gender roles. We're a volunteer organisation, um, and you know these these you know what little supports are there for these young people, isn't very much. But there's huge numbers. You know, um, I remember one pride, 
we had like a little coffee morning in town. This was, of course, back before when we could do this. Um, and the place was packed with young people, mm. packed with it, you know, and this was like a small restaurant. I wasn't expecting numbers and we had so many. Like, it's... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply significant portion I would say I wouldn't have exact data for you but I know sure. a couple of years ago a very gothy leaflet got printed saying Cork needed more just LGBT support in general for young people so yeah again legal recognition would be a big step towards that. Yeah, the, 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 the act dates back to 2015 and mm-hmm. just for people who wouldn't know it meant that for adults since yeah. 2015 you don't need a medical diagnosis you can just Declare for yourself, mm-hmm. and that's considered to be, is that considered to be a legal declaration for yourself? It is a legal declaration. So how it works is that you can legally declare yourself through the Jack Recognition Act, and you get a special form uh, that you can fill out and get notarized. You need a witness, you know, same as any other legal process. You send it off, and then a few weeks later, we'll come back, and you will get, you know, this declaration that you've changed your gender, and at the time, as well, I know for myself, they asked if I want my pa- a new passport issued out to me, which I re- said, yeah, I would love that. And the reason we have this is because of Dr. Lydia Foy and mm-hmm. the work that she did, because she's a trans woman who, for a very long time, like, she lived her whole life as a trans woman, and she was just like, my ID doesn't match me. Mm-hmm. I interviewed her many years ago. Me. Yeah. yeah. And, like, she, and, like, and it's, the reason why we have that law now is because of what she's done. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's 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 because she went to the court and she fought for this, mm-hmm. and we have benefited. And I know there's many absolutely fantastic like trans activists, a lot of them based up in Dublin, who you know did really good work with government. You know, they worked together to come up with legislation that worked, and it is you know it's world leading this legislation. It is an amazing piece of legislation, and it's great to see that the government is willing to extend this to our young people. Jack, there are those who would say, um, well, for an adult to be able Mm. to do that, that's just fine. But let's be very blunt here. Mm -hmm. Someone of 14, 15 is still a child. And can we... 
can we allow or should we allow children to make decisions that adult the same kind of decisions for themselves as we allow adults to make do, do, do we blur the line between childhood and adulthood there oh definitely and like you have to remember as well like this is what what the government are proposing in um the government program uh when it was published was you know with with parental consent and that's you know the important because i know people are listening to this and they're kind of hearing this and they get concerned because they're like oh like how will young people know themselves like they don't know themselves; they're too young to know that. And and then it's like, I remember about oof, fifteen years ago, maybe. Uh, you know, there was a very similar conversation happening, which was, you know, all these people are coming out as gay. Like, how do they know they're gay? It's it's gay people making them gay. You know, and there's that idea of this gay agenda. And and then like when I hear this concern, and there's real concern within that, but then I wonder, you know, when people talk about young trans people kind of sounds the same as the rhetoric that was going around, you know, 15 years ago that we've decided isn't really okay to say anymore because, again, you know, I, I've i worked with these young people in the past. I've, you know, I've engaged with them. You know, I work with the, you know, with the adults and, like, they do know themselves. Like, I see the journey that they're on, you know, when they kind of realize, like, oh, hold on, I, I don't identify with the gender I was assigned at birth, like, what am I? And you see them go on that journey. But there comes a point in that journey where they're living as themselves. Mm. And then they need identification to back that up because, you know, if they're going to college, you know, if their school records in one name and they're trying to go in college in, in a different name and with a different gender, you know, that can be hard to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And it's about making the life, these lives easier. You know, that's, 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 that's the aim of these sexualization. It's not about making people something they are not. It's about sure. allowing people to be what they are. It's about I'm, saying I'm, to these young people, yes, your gender is valid. I'm, I'm, I'm careful of my language because yes. one must be to avoid offence to anybody. So as I ask the next question, bear that mm. in mind. I'm asking it as carefully as I can. Oh, yeah. Work away. <clears throat> there are many things that, and I mm. remember being a teenager one time, yeah. there are many things that are part of my teens or part of anybody's teens described under the term just a phase. Yes. So, is it something that, like, are, would, are you making something very definite that might be just a phase? Well, the whole point of the station is, you know, again, if, if I had a young person come to me and they're like, I don't know what gender I am, I wouldn't be saying to them, please change your, your gender identity there. I, I I would tell them, like, talk about it, explore yeah. it, you know, meet our people who are like you, figure it out. And then at some point, legal transitioning might be appropriate. It may not be appropriate for everyone. Not everyone wants to legally sure. transition sure. or sure. have that legal change as well. That is the other side of it. Some people are very happy to go, no, I'm happy to keep my documentation away. But it's about trusting them that they know who they are. Because, again, I remember going way back um, you know, I before I transitioned myself, like I, you know, came out um, as like bisexual, and and people told me that was a phase, and that's not a phase. Um, you know, and whereas now people can accept when people come out with their sexual identity, that they kind of know themselves, and sometimes people take them a while to figure out who they are, and that's totally okay. Sure. And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes people might say something and go like, "Oh, I think I'm this." But we also have to make sure we give them space as well to kind of to put that down if it's not the right thing for them. It's about 
not putting pressure on young people. And I think that's really important. Sure. Okay, just leave the options open for them, I guess. Jack, thank you. And uh, wish you well with your work. That's Jack Fitzgerald of Gender Rebels Cork. 0818 96 96 96. Now, we're going to contact the bishop about this, uh, John, in Cove, see if we get a response. But John wants to call attention to the situation at St. Coleman's Cemetery in Cove. It's a cemetery I know, John, so... Condition in general isn't great. A lot of litter, sometimes dumping. But particularly, I'd like to talk about two issues. Firstly, vehicles driving around like it was Mondello Park. Elderly people are walking up there. It's dangerous. Secondly, and with no disrespect to anyone, there seems to be a lack of clarity about who should do what and when. Graves are having the concrete dug up for another coffin, but the rubble is then left aside and not taken away in orderly fashion. Nobody seems to be closing the gates when work is finished either, perhaps thinking others might be working there or I don't know what. I've brought all these issues to the attention of the clergy, but nothing happens at all. It's very frustrating and disrespectful. We do intend to contact Bishop Crean and his office after the show to ask about that. But yes, the condition of that cemetery has been queried many times, shall we say. Thank you, John. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. I have had all three shots, and I think that people who are anti-vax are deluded. But there's absolutely no way I'd support mandatory vaccination. Not in this country under any circumstances ever. We have over a 90% vaccination take-up. If they do this, they're saying that everything they said previously was a lie. Herd immunity. And the doom mongers in Neffet ignore the fact that Omicron isn't nearly as dangerous as the previous versions and will peak this week, even using basic maths, etc. There's no reasonable case for most of the restrictions given schools are open. They're in the realms of clinging to their current powers, as by default they've been running the country since this started. Well, internationally, we're a couple of weeks behind the UK and the UK hasn't peaked yet. So, end of the month, I suspect, the peak. That's what they're predicting, end of the month. At the moment, the numbers in ICU is mercifully lower than we thought it might be. Numbers in hospital are going up. That's what's worrying people. But as regards mandatory vaccination, as I said, I have no view. It'll never apply to me. It'll never be a question. If someone says I need a vaccine, I need a vaccine. That's, that's just me. It doesn't matter to me. Mandatory or not, it doesn't actually matter to me. 08, but I'd like to know what you think. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. You can bring the magic of Panto home this year with a new digital version of the Everyman Theatre's Aladdin. The online stream means you can enjoy a show that's sure to enchant children and delight all audiences of all ages. Digital tickets now available from the venue's website. Access all areas. Northern duo Morgan McIntyre and Gemma Doherty aka Saint Sister have won Best Album for Where I Should End at 2021's Northern Ireland Music Prize. They finally get the chance to come to Cork for their Leaside album launch taking place at St. Luke's on Saturday March 5th. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or any live streaming events coming up by emailing us at AA 
at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. On Cork's 96FM. It's probably a safe bet that most of the New Year resolutions people made 10 days ago are, have at least been half broken. Most of those ones are of no use. But a lot of people are thinking this year, right, my New Year resolution is I'm going to change my career plan. I'm going to take a look at my career and what do I want to do career-wise between now and next January? What do I want to achieve and how am I going about doing it? Where do you even start with a plan like that? Mary Cummins is a career life coach at careerchanger.ie. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. It is an ambitious resolution to say that between now and this time next year, I will have rejigged my career. Where would one start? Um, Okay, so I suppose in terms of New Year's resolutions, first of all, PJ, you know, um, you know, some, you know, people have different views on New Year's resolutions. Some of the evidence isn't particularly encouraging, you know, for a lot of people, you know, uh, they might last a few weeks or a couple of months and then the resolutions are forgotten about again, you know, but nevertheless, uh, the New Year is, you know, it's kind of a, a natural transition point, if you like. And it is a good time to make a change if that's what's needed, if you're not entirely happy with where you're at. Uh, and certainly, as with in terms of the job market, you will find pages that you know more jobs are advertised in January and February as hiring managers have actually received you know their new budgets. You know, and of course, people have had time to think over the Christmas period. Uh, in addition to the whole of the last two years, really, I suppose to reflect and to think about what they want, to mm-hmm. think about what's important, what's important to me in my career, what do I want from a job, what are my job values and so forth. Mm. But I suppose, PJ, rather than waiting for a new year, really, I encourage my clients to reflect on their career, you know, maybe every quarter or every six months to really think about, you know, where am I at with it? You know, what's working and what's not working mm. and where do I want to go? And And following that review, you know, that person may feel they're perfectly happy with where mm. they're at, you know, or they might think, yeah, there are some additional skills I'd like to develop. So, for example, somebody working, you know, as a project coordinator, you know, might want to progress to a career a project manager in a couple of years, and they might decide to stay where they're at, um, but to try and develop other skills that would be useful to them, you know, to take on a role like that further down the road, you know? There's another thing, too, in that you, if you've been doing your job for a long time... yeah. You might be happy or you might be thinking, well, you know, I'd be a, like a fish out of water trying to do, yeah. to do anything else. Should you sit down and draw up a plan and, and do a list of what you like and what you don't before you make any decisions? Of course. Yeah. So, of course, PJ. So the first thing I'd say, PJ, is look, you know, just to take some space to reflect on what it is you want, you know. So what does a good job look like for you? So whether it's walking, swimming, yoga, meditating, whatever it is you like to do to relax, it's so important to clear your mind and clear the clutter from your mind, you know. That's then when the creative juices start to flow and the good stuff things, you know, the good stuff comes to the surface. So to think about you know, your career highlights, things that you really enjoyed, you know, are any elements of a particular job that you that you really enjoyed over the course of your career um, and the things that you liked or that you got a buzz from, things that motivate you, things that you're interested in and things that you're good at. But also, PJ, of course, your job values, you know, mm. 
what is it that you want from a job? I know for me, for example, you know, I have to have meaning and purpose in my work uh, and I like working with others. But for others, it might be an opportunity to progress, an opportunity to be creative, to help others. And for others, it will be to earn a bigger salary to provide for my, fa- to provide for my family. So it's about being clear, Peach, and what it is you want. Certainly, I know a lot of my clients at the moment, they're looking for a greater work-life balance. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really coming to the fore at the moment. People have been re-evaluating and thinking about what's important. But for certainly, once you have that clarity, PJ, you then need to, as you say, make a plan and think about how you're going to go about it. Mm-hmm. How am I going to approach the market and so forth? You know, so they might want to consider, you know, networking as such an important tool now, you know, and LinkedIn as a wonderful platform, you know, right. and think about, you know, what agencies I can sign up with, who can I send my CV and cover letter to and so forth. Yeah. But you must have a plan, PJ, and you need to be methodical in your yeah. approach. And of course, also to remember the internal market, you know, so while, you know, you may not be particularly fulfilled in your current job, there may be other roles in the same company that may be of interest, you know, but do be patient. Do follow up on all contacts that you make. Remember that managers can be very busy, so they may not come back to you immediately, you know, but do follow up with them, PJ, and close everything off. I can imagine where a lot of people would be uncomfortable, Mary, is in places that have seen an awful lot of upheaval during the during the last sure. couple of years, retail, hospitality, that kind of thing. Like you might have thought, Do you know, I'd love to work now in hotel management or retail management. But the last yeah. two years have shown how unstable that whole thing can be. People are changing their minds. Yeah. Well, actually, certainly, uh, PJ, you know, retail and hospitality have experienced significant disruption over the course of the pandemic. And it has been extremely challenging for anybody working in those areas and for business owners, of course. But actually, in terms of hospitality, at the beginning of December, um, there were 61 jobs advertised in the hotel sector in Cork alone. You know, the opening of the Dean Hotel, for example, on Horgan's Keys, the Res and McCurtain Street, you know, they've created opportunities. Yeah. Restaurants are crying out for staff. Yeah. You know, many employees working in hospitality, PJ, they've returned to their native countries, you know, at, you know, at the beginning of the pandem- pandemic right. and they haven't right. returned. Right. And some moved into other sectors which had less of a start, a stop-start strategy. Uh, and in terms of retail... PG, you know, certainly, you know, they need to recruit new staff also. The CSO's most recent figures, in fact, uh, for job vacancies in, in, in wholesale and retail are 3,300. So there are challenges in trying to recruit people, as a lot of people, as I said, working in retail moved location or changed career. But certainly in terms of the landscape, in terms of retail, uh, you know, there has been, you know, a real move, I suppose, towards online shopping. So people might want to think about things like developing their technology skills. You know, we live in a digital era, PJ, and IT skills really are so relevant to be. So people could consider, you know, springboard programs or to check out Cork Education and Training Board. You know, there's some some fantastic uh, training programs available to them there, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. A thing that became uh, popular, or a word that became popular during lockdown, in particular, was was pivot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm now doing someone who's now doing something they never thought of doing yeah. before. How common yeah. is that? Yeah. So I suppose 
I would see pivoting, I suppose, that's the kind of a smaller change, I suppose, than a full-on career change. So pivoting usually means, Peter, that you're doubling down on what's working for you to make a purposeful shift in a new but related direction, you know. But whether it's pivoting or changing, you know, what I advise is for people to think about, as I said, what's working for them in their career, to look at their strengths, the things they're good at, the things they enjoy that energize them, that, you know, their interests and their values. But to also look PJ at, you know, well, where's the dissatisfaction? What's causing me the dissatisfaction? So, for example, somebody working in sales, PJ, you know, they might find when they do their review and they start to look at what's causing the to dissatisfaction, they might find, well, actually, it's the product that they're selling that doesn't really resonate with them or that they don't find particularly inspiring. So, you know, that doesn't require a full-on career change. It just might mean, you know, moving to a different sales role where they're selling maybe a service rather than a product. So it's really important, PJ, that, you know, people are clear on what it is that's causing the satisfaction. Because if it's coming more from, you know, how you're managing yourself or how you're managing any work-related issues, that will travel with you, you know. But certainly, PJ, you know, if somebody is feeling bored or unfulfilled, it's good to take action, you know, uh, because if you ignore it, it may reach a crisis point, you know. So to think about, you know, what small changes can I make or what small steps can I take while staying in my current role? I've got to pay my bills. Yes. But what small steps can I take to, you know, to 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 find more fulfillment? Okay. You know, okay. but certainly, PJ, fear is something that can often hold us back yes. and prevent us from pivoting or changing fear. direction. You know, fear fear of of failure and, and fear of change is big in a lot of people's lives. You could spend another half an hour talking about that, Mary. Thank you very much. People can go to your website, careerchanger dot ie. That's Mary Cummins. Uh, much appreciated, Mary. Oh uh, eight one eight. 96, 96, 96. If you do want to think about new career, new options, changing with the times, careerchanger.ie 0818-969696. Orla was on to us about a traffic snarl up. Hey PJ, there's a truck broken down um, opposite the Silver Springs Hotel. Um, on the way up to the north side just at the end of the on-ramp to go up to the north side if you just want to let your listeners know I'm actually stuck there now trying to get my son to school Appreciate that Orla, thanks you've let them know for me 0818-969696 I'm joined by Elaine Ryan and Neve Lee Lunick to talk about a new film called This Promise, focusing on homelessness, but focusing in particular on women in homelessness and how it affects women. Elaine and Neve, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I'll start. I'll start with with you, Elaine. And tell me about the film. When is it out? When can we see it? Well, we haven't actually made the film yet. Um, that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, with this campaign, we're trying to raise the funds um, to make the film. Now, you play the lead character in the film. Tell me about Cheryl. Cheryl is a mother of one daughter, Julie. Um, and she has a relationship breakdown. She has to leave um, her boyfriend's home um, and make a big decision whether to take her daughter, Julie, with her or leave Julie with the boyfriend. And unfortunately... Cheryl decides to leave um, Julie with her boyfriend um, and that sort of brings all sorts of problems um, 
Jason's um, Cheryl's boyfriend is um, making it very difficult for Cheryl to see the baby. Yeah, yeah, and that's all in the trailer and the teaser that I watched this morning. And and the, you can bring a lot of reality to the role of Cheryl, can't you, Elaine? Because well, you've been there, as it were. Yeah, well, my story would be um, a lot different to Cheryl's. Um, me and Eve have gone into different services and spoke to to women that are experienced this, and there's a lot of women that have similar stories, you know. Um, yeah, I was homeless myself, but my story, as I said, would be different to Cheryl's. She'd have an understanding, as you say. Neve, bring you in there, Neve Lee Lunig. Now, this is based in Dublin and all that, but you, you're from Cork. Tell, tell me about the, 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 the idea behind the film. Where'd you get it from? Hi, PJ. Yeah, so I am certainly from Cork originally, uh, currently based in, in Dublin. So I wanted to make a film about homelessness for years. And um, when I started researching homelessness, I was horrified to to discover that in Ireland, we actually have uh, one of the highest rates of female homelessness uh, in Europe, which a lot of people don't know. And um, so that made me think, God, it's really important that we tell we tell a female story. Um, so I met Elaine um, when she was uh, living at um, Daisy House. So I, I'm not sure if you've heard of Daisy House, PJ, but they do great work. Um, yeah, so they help women who are transitioning out of homelessness. And from the outset, I felt that it was really important that somebody who previously experienced homelessness um, was a big part of the film. Um, so to cut a long story short, Daisy House introduced me to Elaine, who was studying screen acting at the time. Um, immediately, I thought she's she's perfect to play the lead character. Mm. Um, and then when we started discussing the, the lead character in the screenplay, I realised Elaine has so much of her own first-hand experience that she can bring to this and sure. make it really real. Um, and as Elaine said, we're also in touch with um, a number of homelessness organisations who are who are helping us to make a story that's as true to life as possible, because that's probably one of the most important things. Now, you, you, as, as, as I... I thought that work on making it was underway, but in fact, you need, and it's not a huge amount of money, God, in the, in the film world, it's a tiny amount yeah. of money. You need 18,000. You need a sponsor here. Yeah, you're probably right about that. We're about 30% of the way there. Um, there's been a lot of really good energy and, and love behind it in the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, we're certainly at a point where we do need um, a sponsor or um, organisations to get involved because... It doesn't necessarily need to be um, a straightforward donation. Uh, in some cases, there could be companies that could say, look, we'll, we'll pay for your crew or we'll yeah. pay for your um, your equipment or we'll give you a location because they're all the things that sort of add up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope, I wish you well with it. If there's anybody wants to help, you go to the website, thispromisefilm.com, thispromisefilm, all one word, dot com. And we, we'd catch up maybe later in the year if you get your cash in the bank and get your film made I'd love to talk to you again Elaine Ryan and Neve Nee Lunig uh, thank you both Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM.
I was talking to Jack Fitzgerald from Gender Rebels Cork in the past hour. We got a message. Hi, VJ. Can you get uh, the details again as I missed them? I have a 13-year-old who's going through a tough time. She's been getting counselling, but they won't discuss gender transition until she's over 16. And it's now she feels she needs it. Gender Rebels Cork. You'll find a way there to contact Jack Fitzgerald. I'm assuming that they are on social media and that you can make connections that way. Can you ask listeners if they receive messages such as I've got, seven of them, purely joined to be a close contact person in question isolated and is now out and about as allowed but I have to wait until next week before I can leave my house. I think there are scam texts going around. I haven't clicked the preview attached to, to the message. The message says it's from the source HSE COVID-19 and says it's a reminder that the person must continue to restrict their movements until a certain date even if feeling well as they could be infectious. Then there's a link for more information. There could well be scam texts going around. I'm not saying there aren't or there aren't but there could be. There could be. But so many people being pinged as close contacts at the moment. Uh, it's it's mad. It's But this is a phase that we have to work our way through and you just need to mind yourself and try to avoid getting it and try to avoid being a close contact and get your jabs and do as you're asked as it was and mind yourself and you should hopefully be alright. 0818 96 96 96. Now some of the stranger things I've done uh, in my uh, career one of them was I did a bungee jump live on air um, attached to a headset and prayed that I wouldn't say very bold words as I was falling through the sky which thankfully didn't happen another crazy thing I did in my time was I had colonic irrigation live on air. I kid you not, I absolutely did, whether I don't know whether I was drunk or on drugs or something at the time, but I did. I had colonic irrigation live on the air, wired to a headset in a place out on out in Model Farm Road. When I think, even think back what I did. But I'm genuinely terrified about what I'm about to do now. Um, Kate Arban and I have spoken before uh, on the programme, but last week Fergal Barry contacted me and asked me for, well, he knew my date of birth, but he wanted to know my time of birth and all these things. And my birthday is this week, so <laughs> it's an appropriate time. So he gave all my information to Kate, and Kate has drawn up a chart. Now, Kate and I have never met, and I have absolutely no idea in the wide earthly world what she's about to tell me. I haven't received a preview. I have no notion, Kate, of what you're going to tell me. So I'm, I'm just a tad nervous, shall we say. She's gone on the... She's gone... She's, I'd say, try and get her again there for me, Fiona. She's gone again. Um, but she's done up an astrological chart for me, done up my horoscope for 2022 based on the information we've given. And I have no idea what she's going to tell me. I really haven't. Um, if we can get her... Is she back? And we'll see if we can get her back there. She's gone off the line. We're having some small trouble with the with the phone lines today. Uh, in relation to PCR tests with HSE, I've been trying for days to book one, all times day and night, but no joy. I decided to book a private one for this morning, which I paid for, and driving back after that, I passed the test centre on South Douglas Road and there were no cars to be seen. Nobody getting swabs. What's going on with the HSE's booking online? Yeah, that place on South Douglas Road seems very quiet the last few days. And yet we hear there are no 
No PCR tests to be had. Okay, let's try this again. Kate, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Ah, there you are. So, Kate, you and I have never met. All you got was my information last week. I have absolutely no idea what you're about to tell me. So, do your worst, as they say. What have you done, first of all? How do you go about doing this? Right. Well, right now I'm looking at about five or six charts, like uh, different different um, uh, diagrams of where all the planets are, where your planets are, and I'm comparing the two. So usually when I do a, a consultation with somebody, I spend maybe an hour or two studying charts before I speak to them. And then we generally take maybe an hour to an hour and a half to discuss it all. So what you're getting is like a very little glimpse here of what goes on. So what I've done is I've looked at your birth chart. I, I did that on the computer. So I know where all your planets were at the time of your birth. And then what I've been doing is looking to see um, how the planets' movements this year are affecting you. When you, when you refer to my planets, what, what, what are they? Okay. okay. So this is when, when you're born, it's, uh, all the planets are moving. And uh, the moment of your birth is like a snapshot and so we get a, it's, it's like taking a photograph, it's a chart, it's a diagram of where those planets were in the heavens at the time of your birth. And that stays with you your life, entire life. But of course, everything keeps moving. And so that's my job is to see how it moves. And that's how I, how astrologers will determine how your life unfolds. Okay. Okay. So what are my planets as a matter of interest? Okay. All right. Well, if you're happy with me to sort of speak this out. Yep. Um, okay. You're, you're Capricorn. We mentioned that once before. Yep. So your sun is in the sign of Capricorn. And the big three, as we call them, which is the sun, the moon, and the ascendant. Okay. Your moon is in Taurus. So that's another earth sign. So that makes you very practical, reliable, down to earth. Okay. But just as a fundamental basic of your character. Your rising sign, which is the sign that was coming up over the horizon at the moment of your birth. That's Scorpio, okay? So that's a very different way of coming across. So you can be very secretive. In fact, you can, you can hold a lot in and, uh, you know, you don't reveal a lot about yourself. I don't know if, does that, does that resonate with you? It rings a little bell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, being Scorpio rising, you're not going to give much away. It's the kind of thing <laughs> I go, oh, okay. Okay, so this person doesn't actually want me to say too much about the details of their life because the Scorpio people are very private. They don't like everyone. They can be very open and very talkative. And mm. They know exactly what's going on with other people. But it's like playing poker for you. It's like that. It's like, so, so you know, I, I always recognize this can feel very intrusive when I start exposing the inner wearings of your, your life and personality, especially on air. Okay. 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 <laughs> so there's other things now. Of course, there's all the other planets. You've got, um, you know, Mercury, Venus, Mars, all in their different places. What I see here is um, you've got a strong Sagittarius vibe. Okay, because you've got Venus and Mercury in Sagittarius. So that means that you're quite an adventurer. You're you're a free spirit. You love to roam. You love you love to have change and variety. Okay, so for all your earthy stability, mm. you you are you you absolutely love to talk. I, I have an impulsive explore. nature. Would that explain it? Exactly, absolutely, and spontaneity. So too much. So you're you you kind of almost have a conflict within yourself because you like the moon in Taurus. Absolutely loves to have to know where. It's like being a hobbit. You know, you need to know you've got second breakfast lined up, and you know you've got to put put by in case it's a rainy day. That sort of thing. That's moon in Taurus. Okay, so but you also want to once you've got that sorted, you need to know that you can go anywhere and do anything at a drop of a hat. So you like to create the security and stability so you've got the freedom to adventure yeah. and roam. 
I love to say it's a beautiful day let's just get the hell out of here and do something mad yeah. I love that yeah. yes and you like to know that you have a few things in the fridge that you can pop in a bag and take with you yep. you know it's like you don't like to be without your supplies that's the you like comfy chairs and warm slippers as well as, and you take them with you on your adventures <laughs> you know what you're right there because do you know what I do actually when I'm going on holidays I actually sleep my, I sneak my slippers into the bag which is kind of it's it's old but hey it is it's comfortable and at night when I'm sitting down reading a book I have my slippers on (laughs) yes you see now I can see I don't know you but I can see these things you see I can see I can see what goes on there yeah so it's it's great fun to really just sort of like uh, and I will be frivolous you know we won't go into any of the the, the the sort of deeper more difficult stuff right now but um, you know it's like it's like there's so much going on as well I can see I can see that you're very attention to detail and you're pub- I can see that you have a public profile from this chart you know even if I didn't know that you were live on radio I could see that you're you're quite you're quite quirky you would be a bit different in the way that you think you come at things from a different angle you have uh differing opinions and ideas to other people but you have that out in the public that's part of your public profile and you can be quite assertive and uh, not confrontational in a in a difficult sense but you will address issues that need to be addressed so I can see all that in your chart okay yeah. okay so what might the year ahead hold for me okay well this year for you um, the sun is a very important planet, so it's uh, not, not not the same every year, but it tells me that your your career and your public profile, that area of your chart, your 10th house, is going to be a very important part of your life this year. So there's going to be a lot of, not necessarily changes, but you might be thinking about where you're going, what you're doing, how you're going to improve and progress and make things really work for you in in that area of your life. So that's one of the highlights for you this year. There's another thing where where Jupiter is, um, which is Jupiter is the planet that brings us all the good stuff. I mean, Jupiter is the thing that, you know, the worst of Jupiter is a hangover after too much drink or indigestion after too much food. It's that kind of planet. It's the it's the feel good. It's where you're going to have the fun and enjoyment. And for you, it's in a fantastic part of your chart this year because it's in the area of your chart that's all about fun, leisure, pleasure, enjoyment, entertainment. Right. So so on the whole, this this is going to be a good year for you to have um, good feelings and actually you know you time off pleasure leisure that kind of thing is really going to work well for you so that's the area you're, you're going to focus on this year but also there's other things going on here because Jupiter's making a connection to Saturn Saturn's the almost the opposite of Jupiter it's the serious it's the you know it's the school teacher that keeps you in after school and says you've got to learn this stuff mm-hmm. you've got to do this stuff okay so Jupiter's hitting your Saturn this year so that's a big transit that's only going to happen once in 12 years so this is really going to say okay curb yourself a bit don't go crazy keep that sagittarian spontaneity that wanting to break free and break out that's going to be kept uh, a little bit moderated because you're going to be seeing the long view so you have ambitions or plans you want to have more fun but you're thinking sensibly so it's like you may find that you're a bit you frustrate yourself so it's like your sensible side says to your crazy side no we've got to basically don't go out without the raincoat today. You know, it's that kind of energy. It's like, take precautions. Don't do anything crazy and mad. Mm. Because um, I can see there's a lot of restlessness around you. 
you know, there's a the planet Uranus is the planet that kind of brings shifts. It's the wild card. It brings the unexpected. It's not always bad. We sometimes think, oh, unexpected, particularly for somebody who's got the Taurus moon. It's like anything unexpected, you know, uh, damage limitation is quite important to you. Mm. So when I say, you know, there's a bit of a wild card working in your chart at the moment, but it can, it's more to do with you want to shake things up a bit because you don't want things to stagnate. You need a bit of change and a bit of variety. And this is going to be happening in the area of your 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 um your your relationships your dealings with people your one to one kind connections with people so you may find that you want to get a little bit of a a different kind of vibe coming from your social and business contacts and just just shake things up a bit you might feel restless you might sort of just want to keep any feeling of being in a rut uh in the background you know mm. so that's 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 sort of so if you do feel because you've got this combination of energy that uh, you know, your your desire for stability and continuity and you're looking at the long view, that's very Capricorn, you know, you're prepared to put the effort in, put your shoulder behind things, but you're feeling restless, you're feeling a bit stagnated, you mm. need to shake things up. I, I, can, so be, I can be impatient at times when I yeah. know that, yeah. I know that this is a slowly steady goal in mind. I can get yes. very impatient and I can fall off my path because of that impatience. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So this is where you, you as, a, as a personality in general, it's something there, but it's being highlighted this year. Um, and the, there's two areas of life which I see as being um, highlighted is relationships and career life. So it's like those things you, you might feel I need to kind of, you know, just uh, stir the bottom of the pond a bit and see what comes out. Uh, but at the same time, there's going to be this don't do anything too rash because of your impatience. Be, you, you're aware of that. I mean, mm. as we get older, we learn self-management. We learn where we trip ourselves up. Mm. So, you know, I see, I see it's like as, as somebody in, uh, matures in life, I see the chart maturing, the expression of these planets um, take on that more sort of we've been around the block a few times so I know what happens when I do that and I'm not going to do that now. You know, it's that kind of, I can see that happening as people people go through their lives. Mm. So I can see, you know... Well, if, you, you, if, you you tell know me, if you tell me I'm about to start getting more sensible, my mother alone will be delighted with you, let alone my wife. Who, by the way, is, is it of any consequence that you say that this moon in Taurus, is, yeah. it, is it any consequence that my wife is Taurus? Absolutely. And, 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 and when I'm losing the run of myself, she's the one that goes, hey, you, cop on. Yeah. Yeah, because because you not only have your moon in Taurus, but it's in the seventh house, your seventh house, which is the the indicator of those the partner like the other. The first house, the ascendant, is all about us. The opposite place, the seventh house, is all about the other person. So I look there for a married type partner. Okay, for you that's ruled by Taurus. Okay, so you're going to want Taurian energy, Taurian qualities around you. You're going to be attracted to and attracted by that energy. Your moon is in Taurus. So, of course, your, her sun and your moon, are very that's great compatibility because it means you're on the same page there. And she, you know, so she's the one who bakes the nice, nice cakes or warms the slippers in the oven for you because she understands that kind of thing. <laughs> I'd rather warm the slippers in the oven. <laughs> I know, I know she, she feeds me well, yes. Yes, yes. See, and that's so important, you know. And so that sort of sense of that moon, you know, your need for security and your, your what you like is familiar, the way that we connect and feel safe and, and comfortable and familiar, that's, that's how we connect to people on that level. And your Jupiter's there in Taurus, so you feel good around that Taurian energy. You like that stability, that good food, home, yeah. home cooking, you know, home values. But yeah, 
you've got this crazy side, you've got this kick-ass kind of, um, you know, rebellion side, you're a bit of a maverick as well, you know, so... So it it kind of you know yeah you've obviously learned how that works how to find a niche in life, and uh, but she does help so it's no surprise at all that she's got this this Torian that she's a Torian or she has strong Torian energy. Yeah. So exactly so looking looking towards the year, um, and I'm always I I, I don't like. January, even though my birthday is in January, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't particularly like January. Once Christmas is gone and the decorations are back in are, are back in the attic, and once my birthday yeah. is over, I, I actually pretty much hate January. So I'm always thinking, is there something? Am I going to think this time next year that 2022 was a pretty good year? Yes, yes, ultimately yes, because as you you know, the early part of this year, like you say, you don't like January, but the early part of this year is going to be the. The difficult part, there's a lot of things happening, lots of little bits and pieces, like uh, quite a lot of, this is where this sense of, you know, be patient because of this, um, you know, the restlessness that you have. But towards the end of the year, you will find that uh, you get the energy, you know where you're going, and you actually start making the shifts. You know, you may have put things in the foundations, you may tweak it here and, and maybe try putting, lining up your ducks, I think, over the year. But come the end of the year, that's when you can actually fire the gun you know you can actually do stuff so you will you will feel that even though you've you've had to traverse some challenges and bide your time which you don't like you'll find that the things that you're looking for will come um you know they'll all be set up for you by the end of the year and that's when the action really starts for you Kate, I look forward to it, and I thank you for that. Um, you didn't, so you didn't, you didn't frighten me too much. <laughs> I, was, I was careful. We can yeah. talk another time. <laughs> Kate, thank you ever so much, Kate Arbon from Kate Arbon Astrological Services. The interesting thing about the, the the Taurus and the Scorpio, like people will scoff at this stuff, but there is stuff in there. She told me that is actually me on the bang. It's like me on the money. Uh, I'd almost be embarrassed how close to the bone she was with some of it. She's good at that. 0818969696. How'd you sleep last night? Uh, more to the point, how do you generally sleep? Is there a, is there a pattern to your sleep? Um, and and are you sleeping better now than you did before? Or would you give anything for a really good night's sleep? Uh, they say, experts, I'm sure they're very qualified to say this, that after the age of about 24, we lose the best of our sleep. Um, Kelly Gagan is a specialist in sleep, particularly in children. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Sleep, I would be someone who, on a work night, I'm quite happy to get six hours sleep. At the weekends, I tend to take a little more, but I that's very much dependent on the time of year as well. Mm-hmm. But you notice patterns in your sleep. Does your sleep change as you age? It does change. Generally speaking, children need a lot more sleep than adults. And I specialize in sleep consultancy for children. And But the thing is, children need the assistance of the adults to get that sleep a lot of the time. So it's not just the children in the house that are affected, the parents are as well. So I'm also on the lower end of sleep requirement. I'd happily take six to eight hours and bounce around the house, no problem whatsoever. Mm. Other people are on the higher end. And if they don't get what they need, they really suffer. They go into this kind of 
brain fog mode. And if you're minding a little one, that could be, you know, risky, but also you're not probably being the best parent that you could be. So it's the overall family that's affected by sleep, not just the child. Yeah. And would you be like me in that yeah, six six hours six hours is a good night, six unbroken hours is a good night, but would you nap then? I, I, I like to nap in the mid-afternoon, maybe 20 minutes. It, it, it's like recharging the batteries. If I've gone for a run early in the day, I will. I love a big nap. <laughs> so um, if I've done some kind of exercise, I will. If not, I'll just chill out maybe from like seven in the evening, go to bed around, you know, 10, 11, depending how I'm feeling. So it it takes a while for our brains to switch off and you know, with screens being such a big thing for adults and children, screens emit a blue light and that can affect the production and release of melatonin in your brain. So even though outside is pitch dark, if we're looking at our phone or our iPad or the TV, our brain is actually not being told that it's nighttime. So that can really affect children and adults. Yeah. The the amount of darkness that we have at this time of the year where it's it's not bright until not not long after half eight in the morning and it's dark again before five o'clock does that affect our sleep it can indeed and it, it can cause um it, 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 if you're if you're going to help your little one get onto a good sleep routine it's so it's so much easier to do that from like october to march um from march to october it's that a little bit trickier because you've got like early uh, the sun coming up early and you've got the brighter evening so their brain is telling them it's not time to sleep on worse Oh, I think she may have dropped there, Fiona. Are you there, Kelly? I think she may have dropped. See if we can't get her back. Uh, thanks for that. Just drop, drop, drop back over to you there. I think she may have fallen off the planet for a second. Dee asks, am I the only one who doesn't mind January being very long? It kind of reminds me of September. Fresh start, new beginnings, etc. I kind of go crazy around Easter, even even though my dad and my daughter's birthday are around then. Oh, Easter and springtime, D, they're around my favourite times of the year. I love them. I live for them. It's Kelly back. She is. Hi, Kelly. Hi, how yeah. are you? Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Yeah. So the routine of, of particularly people with new babies, and you find in the summertime, the, the first splink of sunlight in the morning, ping, they're up. Like, some people ask, blackout curtains, are they, should you use them? Should you, should you try to fool the child into thinking... I, Absolutely. So I do encourage children to nap in a slightly bright room because if they go to daycare, the room's not going to be darkened in daycare. But for the early mornings and for nighttime, I would suggest that they um, sleep in a completely dark room. So when they come into that light sleep cycle around 5, 5.30 and their eyes are blinking and they open their eyes, their brain is told it's still nighttime, go back to sleep. So that's one of the reasons I actually designed a blackout blind myself and actually shift work people buy them as well so it's not just for children right. and it can help you achieve the sleep that you need so um so adults can need eight to ten hours children can need anything from 10 to 12 hours sleep at night right right and broken sleep is that just is it just natural that your sleep would be broken so we, we have different stages of sleep and one of the most important stages that we get to is like an NREM sleep. So um, non-rapid eye movement sleep and in that stage of sleep, that's where our um, immune system repairs itself 
and um, we retain memories from the day before. And if we're having broken sleep, we don't reach that stage. So we don't remember what we learned in school or in work or whatever the day before. You know, I love to be working with parents and I'll say, what happened yesterday? And they'll be like, what day was yesterday? So it's not just like a Christmas kind of thing. It can be all year round for parents who are sleep deprived. They literally don't know what day it is. Or they may have an older child and they'll say, I can't remember driving into work this morning. I was so tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Broken sleep, and if no matter what it's caused by, if it's caused by trying to get, make, you try to make sure that the, that the toddler is getting a proper night's sleep or the newborn is getting a proper rest, you yourself are, are sleep deprived and going around like a zombie. I mean, can you do anything to, to help yourself there? Because I know, I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of, of Mags now, and good luck to Mags, one of our listeners is due to have a baby in the next couple of days. And I know that the sleep deprivation is probably, she's probably dreading it already. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be that way. So I'm a maternity nurse and all of the babies I've worked for as a maternity nurse have slept through by 12 weeks old and they've never regressed and they were never sleep trained because we guided them from very early on towards good sleep, which means that we put the naps in the right place during the day. We worked on sleep cues and associations, mm-hmm. playing the lullabies, turning off the lamp, you know, from very early on. So basically we set their body clock, their circadian rhythm, very early on so I do a let's get started webinar and I get great feedback from parents they're like oh my god my first one didn't sleep till they were two but this one sleeping from 12 weeks is amazing I wish I knew so there are lots of things we can do if you want to do them but you don't have to be sleep deprived and walking around in a a brain fog that's not what parenthood is enjoy your maternity leave that's what it's about yeah yeah People can what is, what is your website so people can look up some of the things that you do? So sleepystars.ie Sleepy is the website. Yeah. yeah, come here. And I know we won't say too much now because of his confidentiality, and we respect all that. Did did you have Novak Djokovic as a client? I lived with Novak Djokovic for four months, <laughs> and we travelled all around the world: Serbia, Monaco. Barbados, you name it. So I was the maternity nurse for their second little baba. Right. right. Yeah. What, what, you obviously get to know someone when you work that closely with them. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're really nice. They're quirky. But most of the high-profile clients I work with, they're quirky, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I've seen that he's getting a lot of attention <laughs> at the moment. I get lots of text messages from people. Um, but, no, they're, they're very nice down to earth. They... They have their own beliefs and, you know, each to their own as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah, that seems to sum it up in a sentence. Kelly, thank you. Uh, Kelly Gagan of Sleepy Stars, uh, sleep consultant, particularly child sleep. Thank you for that. Lived with the Djokovic's for four months um, on their second baby for sleep and sleep therapy and all those things. Likey. Talk about living the high life. I mean, she's back on the... I mean, she's really living the high life. Working for Novak Djokovic and appeared on the opinion line. Thanks, Kelly. 0818 96 blackout curtains and blackout blinds and all this. I've noticed in recent years, and it drives the missus mad. <laughs> but I, it's just some. Am I the only person who likes to sleep with the blinds and the curtains wide open? I don't, I don't need any blinds or any curtains. Maybe in the height of summer, all right, I might pull a curtain to keep the very bright light out in the morning. But particularly in wintertime, no blinds, no curtains. Has to be open. I, I know not why, but it just is. I sleep better. 
and the window open when it's not too cold. But am I, please tell me, am I bonkers? Well, we know, we don't answer that. We know I am. But am I bad when I, at this time of the year in particular, my best sleep is with no curtains closed and no blinds down? 0818 96 96 96. Reminder to, to you that Premier League Live is back this coming Saturday. Saturday is from midday at 96pm.ie, powered by Talk Sport. Back on the 15th with pre-match analysis, live commentary from big games, exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns. The Premier League Live online is with now. Stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership and listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, people are making New Year's resolutions and decisions in January and maybe trying to hold on to them for the whole year. Uh, here's an unusual one. Esther McCarthy from the Irish Examiner you decided not to buy any clothes or not to buy any shoes now Esther I know you I've sat next to you on the telly you always are dressed to the nines but you decided not to buy anything good morning are you there? I am can you hear me? yes great you decided not to buy anything PJ you should see the clothes I have and I know I'm not alone. I know every single friend of mine anyway has enough clothes to last them for the rest of their life. And it was more, you know, I know it's January and I wrote about it in January for the Weekend magazine last Saturday. But it was actually last August I made a bet with my husband as most things happen that you want to get one over on one and he was giving me the kind of eye and we were talking about fast fashion and it was our anniversary on the 20th and so we were going nowhere because of COVID and all that kind of crack. So we're doing the laundry, very romantic. And I was going through the mountain, like there was, there was laundry backed up, you know, and, and things I hadn't worn in weeks. And I realized I didn't need them because I had other clothes that I was wearing. So I, he, he was, you know, the, I was the usual kind of going, oh God, and you know, I shouldn't be buying. And he was like, yeah, why don't you stop buying? And I was like, oh, I will stop buying. It was more kind of a, yeah, you know what? I'll try it for a year. And he made me shake on it and he videoed me so that I couldn't go back in it. But it actually was way easier than I thought. So I'm kind of halfway through. That's why I decided to write about it. January and mm. resolutions. And Vicky May, the editor of the Weekend magazine, I was telling her about it. Because we don't, you know, we do chat about what we're wearing. And, you know, not that we're going anywhere. But we know I love clothes. I love fashion. Um, but I just don't need all that much of it. And I think we're all becoming a bit more aware now of just how much like waste there is, the mountains of clothes that we see in mm. places like Chile, the landfill. You know, it, it is hard. It, you, you have to take personal responsibility at some point, I think. And I do have so much. And as I said, it's been really easy. I've mm. kind of done a little... My, I have a friend who's really handy, Jill, with doing, you know, little tailoring bits. So she added a little collar to a coat I had that made it look different. Just things like that. But yeah, I am I would recommend it to anyone. It feels very freeing. I'm still filling up clothes to go to charity. I feel like the house can breathe a bit more. Mm. I feel like doing my little bit, my little tiny bit that I can do for climate change and all that kind of thing. No. And I'm I'm wearing clothes that I haven't worn in ages, so it's all good. <laughs> it, it it would probably be easier uh, probably is easier in, in the course of a pandemic where we're restricted in what we can do than it would be if we weren't. Would you agree with that? 
I'd 100% agree with that. But at the same time, like you say, we'd be sitting down on the couch uh, in the Today Show talking about the news stories of the day. And I always felt, God, I have to have something new now to go, you know, I'm going on the telly. I better have something fancy. But like Johnny wears the same shirt, as I said in my piece, you know, there's no big deal. He wears the same shirt, you know, maybe every week, every Tuesday, whatever. Why can't I? So I actually started doing that and no one said a word, no one noticed. No one cares, you know what I mean? Like I have a lovely couple of dresses that, you know, I can wear different earrings. With it. That, that was my one thing, PJ. I said, I'm not, I am allowed to wear earrings and buy new earrings because I need some outlet. You know, yeah. to, and I do still get that little bit of buzz and I still do look at clothes online and all that kind of thing. And the fact that we aren't, you know, there was no Christmas parties. I, I, you know, uh, there, wa- there wasn't that kind of sense of festivities again the last couple of years that you feel and you do feel lovely when you glam up and you mm. have something new to wear but I really think learning from it was a great time to do it in the pandemic you're 100% right but I think I can learn from this and go on I hope and try and just buy less even if it's not a complete ban you know I don't think I'm going to keep that going for the rest of my life but how, how hard where was the, when was the hardest time to resist oh, Christmas Definitely, you know, that, that, or even just at the moment, like I went to Mahan Point yesterday with the boys, just with my sons, because it wasn't a great day. We said we'd go down and, you know, go into Nando's and see if there was anything in the cinema. And all these sales, you know, I was walking past River Island, all the high street shops, and there was sales. So it's 70% off. And I was, oh, I was getting a bit of weakness because it was like a bargain. And look at that, that was 100 euros, only 20 euros. But again, I kept just picturing it in my, instead of what I usually do when I see something, and I don't know if other um, men and women are guilty this I kind of project this sense of a good so I see glittery top before Christmas I kind of project the fun that I'll have wearing that top when I'm out and Mm. you know I'll I'll, I'll have a great time I look lovely and so instead of doing that now I'm trying to just imagine just take a couple of seconds that's there was a beautiful long shaggy covert I did go in and look I didn't buy it and it was like that it was 70% off PJ and I was like that's like I'm saving money buying it but (laughs) I just pictured you know in a couple of months time it's going to be better weather I'm not going to wear a shaggy coat until this time next year where is that coat coat going to live the space it's going to take in my wardrobe you know that sense of looking at it going oh god so I'm trying to do that before I buy something or before I think of buying something Esther do you retire clothes what I mean by that is so you buy it particularly I mean I I, I have dozens of t-shirts in all kind of various Mm. colours but what happens when they get older and a bit scrappy they get sort of demoted to being DIY clothes and at the very end of their life they become pyjamas you know do you do that well, my husband owns a bike shop, right? The bike shed, I might as well say it, down in Denny's Cross. And he, since I know him, I know him since, you know, college time. And he was always into the circular economy. He's still literally wearing the same T-shirts from when I met him. Like, he's next level, like. But he uses, so when I, like that, pyjamas especially, I find actually, I, boys go out of pyjamas really quickly. It'll be the odd socks. He uses them for rags in the bike shed. <laughs> so... You know, so when something gets to the end of the line, I either if it's in good enough quality, of course, like if something's too small, I have three boys, so I would always kind of okay, that's too big for the eleven-year-olds are going to hang on to it for the ten-year. You know what I mean? Whereas when it gets my six-year-old, I've known as to give it to uh, I've all girl cousins, younger cousins. So there's so if it's good enough, it'll go to charity shop, and if it's not, if it's raggy, if there's a hole in it beyond repair, it goes into a bag to make rags to wipe down the bikes, or he use them the oil. You know, he'll wipe the oil, and then we yeah. might use them for something else. So very little actually goes uh, to waste. He's, he's to a pro. Fair. He's a pro in that. He's regard. ridiculous at his next level. <laughs> he pushes that like I'm only allowed by aluminium coffee pods, and he'll he's got 
got this special little machine that gets rid of the coffee so we use that in the garden and then he washes out every single one so that it can be like yeah Killian puts me to shame to be fair now when it comes to the whole um, environment thing I, but I'm trying because I, I, I didn't I, think he did with shows with, like yeah, uh, there is so much stuff dumped and, and thrown out thankfully exactly. I, very little do, I, do, do we throw out we tend to keep and, and use and use and use and in different guises but yeah we do waste We anyone who wants to start what's mm. the best advice to give them right um, I think if you do a tiny bit of research if you even look at like because that's what caught me it was just this general video that I, came up on my feed and it was these huge um, textile mountains you know clothes mountains and like 1.2 billion tonnes of greenhouse gases a year takes just to make clothes you know so if you kind of think about that and you kind of educate yourself a tiny bit not even educate I'm not like talking down to people because I should know as well but if you start becoming aware of okay I buy this t-shirt it's purple as in for spring and I'm not going to wear it again you know if you just kind of think about where your clothes are going to end up that, that's what helps me to kick start anyway and actually go through what you have already so most things to be honest because again like I would have grown up in a house that had a lot of older um, people in it so I used to go up in the attic and you'd find a pair of Levi's from the 70s and you'd wear them and you you know like that would do you because you didn't really have the money or the options back then to, yeah. to just be buying your things so I think just go through what you have sort them out you know put them into maybe and that's what I started doing as well I put away all the summer stuff recently mm. so that when summer comes around again well, we've no shorts so we've no you know wet suits or so that I know I know that they're there for next year so I won't be buying again when, when yeah. you know you are you're bombarded by the advertising there's people paid a lot of money to make you think you really need that new t-shirt or those new pair of shoes so if you know what you have already in your wardrobe just be a little yeah. bit organised anyone who knows me will laugh because I know Disorganized person in the world, but putting away the summer stuff is a great idea. But let me give you a personal tip. Remember where you put it. Remember where you put it, because we put a bunch of shorts and t-shirts away in the attic. And I don't know if someone where the hell are they? No, by the time we find them, they won't fit anybody anymore. But by God, where where are my t-shirts, Esther? Actually, labeling is really good. Like big, huge labels on them. That's a good tip. Thanks, TJ. Yeah, Esther, we'll talk again. Thanks for, and we'll see you on the couch sometime soon at the uh, Today Show. That's Esther McCarthy from the Irish Examiner. Could you do that for a whole year? Not buy any clothes. None. Like, not even a... Well, I suppose you probably take an exception for underwear. But not buy anything. Yeah, I like curtains open at the weekend when I'm off and I wake with natural light. When the evenings are longer, I don't close them at all. And Michael says, or is it me, Hall? I used to sleep great. But over the past four weeks, I just can't get to sleep. Do all the right things, I think. I have what they call sleep hygiene. I go to bed around the same time without the TV, the radio, the net. I take a shower before bed, which I often find makes me sleep. That's the opposite that wakes me up. Uh, I have very moderate caffeine consumption. Never take sugar. Haven't changed my eating habits. Not worried about anything, nor has there been any change. I'm at the stage now I'd go to the doctor to get sleeping pills, but do I really want that? Because that's not real sleep. You don't get the full benefit. Anyone have a quick, hot tip for a situation like this that worked for them? Michal, I used to get bouts of insomnia. I sometimes do get the odd one. I'd go a week, maybe a week and a half, two weeks, where I just wouldn't sleep properly. And it comes to you eventually. It will come to you eventually. But if it's going on for more than four weeks, maybe talk to the doctor. Maybe ask the doctor's advice. I'm certainly not a doctor and I'm not qualified to tell you anything. But I know that when I get these little bouts of a few nights or whatever that I wouldn't sleep well, it will eventually come. 
Thank you for that. Here's something we might take up. Councillor Ted Tynan says, I know one or two people pinged as close contacts who then had to stay away from work but didn't get any social security payment. They lost four or five days' pay and could ill afford it. The government said they're looking at it, but by the time any positive action is taken, the whole thing will be over. And that is affecting a lot of people. Might bring it up if you're interested. That if you're pinged as a close contact and you've got to stay out of work for a few days, you don't get paid. And that's very hard and there isn't much help there. Thanks for that, uh, Councillor Tynan. Programme today edited by Fiona Corcoran. Welcome back, Fee. Produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.